2: Love Talk Radio. <laughs>
0: with white supremacy or to identify with white people
3: context of white supremacy Gus t renegade and justice in for another program to share constructive information on what racism white supremacy is and how it works um, that brief snippet from the admitted white supremacist known as tim wise when he made his uh Appearance On this program just a few weeks ago Keep that in mind I'll probably play it one more time uh, During the course of the broadcast But keep that in mind He said that uh, he has concluded That one of the ways That the system of racism and white supremacy works Is to encourage Non-white people Victims of white supremacy To identify with whiteness Or identify with white supremacy Or identify with white people Keep that in mind as we roll. Uh, today's program uh, was a suggestion uh, from a loyal listener uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, thank you for uh, supporting the broadcast and tuning in. Actually, a loyal investor as well as a loyal listener. Um, she uh, recommended I uh, guest for today's program. I think she said she uh, has heard her Speak and uh, talk about racism, white supremacy. She uh, read her book, and she thought she had some uh, solid information to share with us. And uh, we'll see if that's the case. Uh, our guest, uh, she has a uh, background in psychology. Uh, she is the chair of education, uh, chair of the education department, excuse me, at Mount Saint Mary's College. Uh, she's also on the leadership team for the Alliance of White. Anti-racists everywhere, uh, based in Los Angeles, California. Uh, she actually, I didn't know this. I just found out this today. She was at uh, White Privilege Conference Number Eleven in Cross, Wisconsin, which is uh, kind of strange because I was also at uh, White Privilege Conference Eleven in Lacrosse, Wisconsin. Uh, in addition, uh, our guest, uh, she maintains a blog. WitnessingLightness.com. That'll be linked in the description for this program. Uh, She is also the author uh, of a book by the same title, Witnessing Lightness, First Steps Toward an Anti-Racist Practice and Culture. Uh, Pleasure to uh, have her on the program with us today. Our guest, I hope I am pronouncing the uh, name correctly. Uh, She will correct me, hopefully. Uh, if I botch it, please forgive me. Our guest, Shelly Tuchluck. Did I get the uh, name correct?
4: Close. It's Shelly Touchluck.
3: Tuchluck. Tuchluck, yes. is that it? Yes. Shelly Tuchluck. Outstanding. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your uh, Monday afternoon with us. We appreciate you taking some time out to speak with us.
4: Sure. Well, thank you for inviting me.
3: Outstanding. Could you... Um, For our listeners, uh, folks who perhaps have not visited your blog or if they have not read your book, could you kind of share some of your background information so they'll be a little bit more familiar with you?
4: Sure. I can tell you a little bit of a story about why I decided to write a book as a sort of white middle-class woman, what makes me think I have anything to say about race. Um, That might be helpful. Um, I grew up in a a fairly um, segregated environment. Um, Certainly socially it was so because I went to a school that had a lot of tracking. However, I um, found myself in a sea of of diversity because I was a sprinter and um, as a member of the track and field team in college um, became one of the few white women um, as part of our track team and there became... um, pretty clued in about how race was affecting um, people around me, um, particularly African-American women that I was on the team with. However, I ended that uh, experience feeling that it was wonderful that I opposed racism and that I loved my teammates, but there had been no message delivered from society that I myself had something to contribute to that, that even if I was intentionally wanting to be a good person and or colorblind, as as many people speak of today, that um, there was still something I was bringing to the table that might uh, continue to pose problems. And um, with that, I went off to do graduate work and and continue on my journey, not really thinking of race at all. Um, I did end up uh, falling into the teaching profession, and I say falling into because I had been studying psychology and dearly loved psychology, but followed an advertisement to uh, work at an elementary school that was doing violence prevention work. And um, there decided to stay post the, the grant that was going on at the time and ended up substitute teaching and then got a job teaching at the school. And it was a school that served predominantly um, African-American and Latino students. And um, as one of the few white faces on campus, thankfully, um, there were a number of people around that let me know that, indeed, I was bringing something to the table that was not recognized by me but that was causing problems. Um, I learned a lot. Um, Although the folks that I was talking to at the time never used the words white privilege, they never used the words white supremacy, they did check me on issues of race and class. Um, But, again, without any of the language, without any of the theory. um, And so I then moved off and and went about my world to do some graduate work, again, in a different context and thought that what I was going to do was take my message of understanding of these amazing young people that I had come in contact with and cared very much about and wanted to um, develop programs, develop something that would help people who had access to funding to help provide um, programs and support for people who were in situations without that funding, um, primarily um, you know, kids of color, especially those who were dealing with um, systems that were criminalizing them. But as I started to do writing and sharing on that work, it really became clear to me that if people I was reaching out to didn't recognize the way that whiteness and or white culture might be impacting their ideas, perspectives, that um, my efforts might not be um, successful, or at least appropriately successful. And so I started really looking at what whiteness um, meant. Um, I really, really was in a challenged place myself to, to understand what it meant for me um, what it meant for my life to uh, deconstruct all of that and try to uh, find a a way to live um, in an anti-racist stance, if if one can call it that. And so I I started really um, doing a research project, looking at that. And from that, I spoke with a number of pairs of individuals who graciously offered up their experiences not perfect people, not people that you would put up on the top list necessarily of any civil rights leadership, but people who are striving and struggling, um, just to me like the rest of us, um, who are really trying to be active, and told their stories. And because they told their stories so openly and were willing to give their names and, and be, um, you know, not anonymous in all of this, I felt uh, really encouraged as well as obligated to see it through and um, tell their stories, um, allow their stories to be heard by other people who were also um, wanting to approach race um, and the world in a better way. And that's where Witnessing Whiteness came from.
3: <coughs> Excuse me. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to try and hop right in and see if we can cover uh, as much material as possible. We have a full switchboard, and uh, i just pointing this out for the record. I think we have a full switchboard almost, and I think I'm the only male on this call. Um, just thought that was interesting. Um, you already stated you are a white woman, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, this program, uh, Context of White Supremacy, I have, unfortunately, concluded that we are in a global system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, The definition that I use for both terms, racism and white supremacy, I use the same definition. I use those two terms interchangeably. Um, The definition that I use for both is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, Do you believe that such a system exists, and do you think that definition is accurate?
4: I think the system of it, having been put in place hundreds of years ago, is still very much apparent I think that people who classify themselves as white are um, in many of them are not conscious of the role they play within that system.
3: Very interesting. That comes up frequently on this program. Um, the definition doesn't say anything about whether or not white people do this consciously. Um, I personally have concluded that white people are very conscious of this. That the people who are not conscious are non-white people but that is neither here nor there, um, do you believe that the definition is accurate, especially since it does not say anything about whether or not white people are consciously doing this or participating in this?
4: Yes. Yeah, I, I think the part that had has, has, uh, brought me to mention the consciousness was um, the portion about abusing, but I do think it, it occurs, yes.
3: Um, and I like, I like pointing this out I, My program is designed for non-white people So for the non-white folks Who are listening um, I would say check out the program In April With uh, Dr. Dana R. Carney uh, She is a professor At Columbia in their business school And she talked extensively About uh, why it doesn't really matter If white people are consciously Practicing racism white supremacy That is irrelevant because the default is racism white supremacy that's just the norm every day whether you're aware of it whether you're not aware of it that's just what's happening on a constant basis so it doesn't really matter uh that was her view and and she explained it i think brilliantly why whether or not it's conscious is is kind of a meat issue um my co-host uh justice she's here she is uh, all of 11 years old non-white female uh, but she is very much interested in learning about racism and white supremacy. I believe she has uh, some questions for you. Uh, Justice, uh, if you are uh, ready to roll, please go right ahead. Your line should be open.
5: Okay, hey, uh, can I be heard? Yes. Okay. Um, hello. Um, do you think your work is constructive to eliminate racism and white supremacy? If so, how is it constructive?
4: I think it's constructive. I think it is a very small piece of a very, very large amount of work that needs to be done. The way I think it's helpful is that from the people that are that grew up like me, um, for people who grew up without um, consciously looking at race and being told that was an important thing to look at in terms of one's personal self, um, I think that the way that I approach my own own home community um, often helps people to have the courage to face what they otherwise have the very great privilege to not face which is that they are complicit in a system that is um, abusive to people of color. And hopefully, and I I have some evidence to suggest um, personally that that will change people's at least behaviors um, in regards to how they treat and interact with people. Um, and, uh, And I hope to continue to expand on that.
5: How do you function around non-white people compared to how you function with white people?
4: I think I try to hold a balance that I need to not treat people of color in a way that is um, tokenizing in any way or dehumanizing such that I see people as, oh, you're a person of color, therefore I must act Differently per se. However, that said, um, one of the things that I do when I am um, around uh, mixed groups, which is most of the time for me, or a lot of the time, um, I try to continue to question myself as to whether or not my actions or behaviors are um, assumptive or um, whether I'm feeling too comfortable um, in the uh, ways of being that I grew up around. Um, there are certain very particular things that I try to be very aware of. I try to really look closely in groups um, around how um, messages are being delivered, around how people's voices are being heard, and whether or not um, there's um, disrespect being offered and, and whatnot and, and wants to disrupt that whenever possible. Um, that's one way. Um, that said, I also am trying to pay attention to those things when I'm in groups of white people, too. If they are um, saying things that would be um, offensive, if a person of color were around, I want to interrupt that as well, even if a person of color isn't around. So I'm trying to stay consistent in who I am in all spaces, if that makes sense.
5: Um how do white people keep information from non-white people?
4: I think silence has a lot to do with it. I think. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by information? What kind of information?
5: Well, uh, what I mean by information is knowledge gained through study.
4: Okay. Um, well. Being someone in an education department, um, making sure that people have access to education is a is a really important thing, and um, and I think that the system is still set up in many ways so that um, people who are raised in more affluent white communities are largely um, expected and um, tracked into going to um, institutions of higher education more so than students who are not living in those environments. And I think it falls from teachers to counselors to administrators. I still regularly hear way too many stories um, in my own students of um, their efforts and their strivings. And I'm talking specifically of my students of color who had either teachers or counselors who would um, counsel them against going to college, saying it wasn't right for them. Things like that are um, some of the most destructive um, person-to-person ways that that happens in a larger – a structural way um, I think funding has a lot to do with it where we put our money um, whether or not we remain um, invested in offering Cal grants and other types of supports that um, can be accessed by students who are in economic need and, and other things like that and then <laughs> to add um, teachers and professors specifically um, university professors college professors I think it is still common um, in a pretty widespread way for many um, tenured faculty to resist multicultural education, anti-racist education, social justice education. And uh, we're seeing that in Arizona right now. Um, we're seeing a, a number of people who are trying to um, frame multicultural education as somehow anti-white um, in ways that are designed to scare um a white, quote-unquote, majority of, of voting public so that they can will get on board to um, fight against ethnic studies programs and and other things like that. Um, so it's, again, both at the professor-choosing level where a professor might choose to just disregard a multicultural education and the importance of offering culturally relevant information so that students can really access information and um, find it Um, relevant to their own lives, as well as structurally in terms of what we're seeing in law right now. So there's a lot. There's a lot.
5: How can you tell when a white person is telling the truth about racism, white supremacy?
4: I don't know that I always can. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know whether I can always tell whether they're telling the truth about it or not. I know what I believe about it, and I know that there are a lot of people who will um, reject um, those notions that they even exist. And so if we want to operate from the definition that was given at the beginning of this show and then say anybody who um, is arguing against it is um, lying, then you know from a from a point of of uh, of them not being accurate um i think there's an argument to be made for that but in terms of whether they are speaking honestly from their perspective or not i i don't know that
5: okay um how do you counter deception
4: i think for me um Let's just go with either situation. Whether or not I do have a gut instinct that somebody's lying to me, or if they are making statements that I think are completely inaccurate about racism and white supremacy, Um, there are a number of different ways I'll try to approach it depending on the context and depending on my relationship with the person. Sometimes I'll try to offer some points of education if there are things I know about it that they don't. Um, Sometimes, um, given somebody's perspective, I might just try to get them to stop spouting those views um, by asking them to to think about the effects that that those views have on other people. Um, And sometimes those conversations don't go very well, and sometimes people don't want to hear me say those things, and they shut down. And then my job is to try and get the courage to reapproach them and reapproach that conversation. Again, at a different point, and not give up on that.
5: Okay, um, that uh, that'll be all for now. I'll go ahead, guys.
4: Thanks, Justice. Mm-hmm.
3: Thanks, Tommy. On the context of white supremacy, Justice Gusty Renegade and our guest, Doctor uh, Shelley Touchlock. Did I pronounce the name correctly? Yes. Outstanding doctor. I forgot that early doctor, Shelley Touchluck. Um I also wanted to point out um, the question when Justice asked how you function or how you conduct yourself around non white people uh, and white people, um, you said that you try to be aware of um, if you are tokenizing the non white people or speaking down to them or being assumptive. Uh, or being too comfortable in the way that you uh, conduct yourself uh, with them. Uh, is that an accurate paraphrase of what you what you stated when you responded to her question? Yeah. Okay. Um, to me, that would suggest that you have to make a conscious effort to not behave in a racist, white supremacist manner with non-white people. To me, that would be another illustration of what I mean with regards to it doesn't really matter if white people are consciously being racist or unconsciously being racist. The default is racism, white supremacy, the default setting for white people in a system dominated by white supremacy. The default normal behavior pattern is practice racism, and your, your response would suggest that unless – uh, I am incorrectly perceiving that. Is what I'm saying, does that make sense?
4: Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I think that society has trained me to act to act in ways that um, people of color would find oppressive, and it's part of an ongoing practice to really check myself and make sure that I'm training myself out of those ways. I, I absolutely agree with that. The reason I think it's, um, it, yes, we can just let that stand, and um, I, I find a, the consciousness part important to talk about for me and for my work because it's by becoming conscious of that system that I can begin to try and train myself out of it. So that's where I find the importance is in the um, attempt to disrupt what I feel that um, our society trains white people into. Um,
3: in, uh I'm going to open up to an investor. She, she was very excited about you coming on the program. I think she met you. I could be incorrect about that. She can clean that up if she did not. But I think she met you. Um, the uh, Bay Area caller, uh, if you had some questions you wanted to ask, uh, feel free. Your line is open. Go right ahead. If you have more than one, feel free to ask.
2: I don't have any questions at this time.
3: Thank you, All righty. Um, in reading your uh, book and checking the blog because you, you were at the White Privilege Conference this year, and in your book um, you cited Ian Hani Lopez, uh, Dr. George DeGruy, uh, Charles Mills, uh, Paul Kivel, uh, Tim Wise, Peggy McIntosh, Noel Ignatiev. Uh, Robert Jensen, uh, among many other folks. But all the people that i named have been guests on this program, uh, some of them multiple times. Uh, Tim Wise has been here, I think, six times. Uh, Dr. Joy DeGruy has been here a couple times. Uh, Paul Keville, he was just here a couple couple weeks ago. Um, saying all that, uh, I feel like this program, um, this is like the advanced class. So I want to be able to uh, push back uh, against some things. I guess to use uh, the terminology from your book uh, to sound bells of alarm uh, is that okay? Do I have permission to do that? Sure. Okay. Um, I wanted to start off. I think this is uh, important, uh, and and why I played the sound clip. I'll I'll play it again uh, right now uh, from Tim Wise. This is when he was on the program just a couple couple weeks ago. You
0: know the way the way white supremacy works is that. Part of the way that it works, at least so far as I can tell, is that it tries to, it tries to encourage non-white folks or you know folks of color to identify with whiteness or to identify with white supremacy or to identify with white people. Uh, again,
3: Mr. Uh, Tim Wise admitted white supremacist. Uh, he was just. Uh, if you want to hear the entire program, that's uh, July. 11th, anybody listening uh, when that sound clip was taken from, but he was, uh, which I found it interesting because when he was here in April, I asked him point blank, uh, white, white supremacist, are those two terms equivalent? He said no. He said whiteness and white supremacy, yes. White, white supremacist, no. White and whiteness. No, but from that sound clip, it would suggest that all three of those terms, whiteness, white, white supremacy, all three of those terms mean the same thing. And in reading your book, I had the same question because you use all of those terms. And just reading your book, to me, I got the impression that all of those three terms mean the same thing. Uh, Just myself, I have concluded Those three terms mean the same thing, and in particular, white and racism, white supremacy mean the same thing, meaning that white identity at its core is racist identity, white supremacist identity. So I'll ask, do you think those three terms mean the same thing?
4: I think they probably are – I believe they're referring to different aspects of something that is connected to each other, but I don't know that they are – completely interchangeable and naming the exact same thing.
3: Can you restate the first part of that? You said you, you believe... Or just, I, be,
4: you I believe that they are talking about something that's connected. For example, I think the term white as an identity is talking about identity. Um, I think white supremacy to me uh, the way I'm looking at it is um, is a, an attitude and a system, but I'm and I've not considered that particular question before, so I, I may stumble in trying to just figure it out with you. Um, but I don't know that I believe that they all capture the exact same thing. Although I absolutely think they're related, um, and what you may be referring to in the book also is I think that white identity was formulated out of, um, white supremacy. So I, I absolutely agree with that. Please.
1: I guess. Oh, please.
5: I'm sorry about that uh, for interrupting, but, uh, um, did I, uh, that was a sound clip from, uh, the the last time when Tim Wise was on the show. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. The last time was, okay. Um, did I ask that question? Uh, how does white supremacy work?
3: Um, he was responding to a question that you asked. I don't. I don't recall the exact question, but I know it was related. He was telling. I think he started by telling a story about a previous talk he was, he had given, and uh, a non-white person stood up and said that uh, he was suspicious, that he didn't, he didn't really believe that Tim Wise was really sincerely interested in working against racism. And Timothy said that uh, another non-white person jumped up before he could even respond. Another non-white person jumped up and said, hey, how can you say that? Timothy, you're doing all this great work, and I don't think it's cool of you to say that at all. And that was a part of his response in saying, see, this is what the system of white supremacy does. It conditions non-white people to identify with white people, whiteness, white supremacy. But it was your question. I just don't remember what the exact question was.
5: Oh, okay, because I do remember, I think I did ask somebody on the show, uh, how does white supremacy work? So just want to make sure. All right, thank you.
3: No worries, no worries. Um, okay, I was my question then was, I think, and this will will help clarify to see if if these three terms mean the same thing, and I think that they do. Uh, In fact, I think that particularly the term whiteness is a very skillful way of eroding the connection between white white identity and racism, white supremacy. I think using the term whiteness is a very skillful way that white people try to sever that connection. So I'll just ask directly, uh, do you believe that All white people in a system of white supremacy are racist white supremacists. And the definition that I use for racist white supremacist is directly, indirectly, consciously, and or unconsciously mistreating someone because they are not white. If that is the definition, do you think all white people in a system of white supremacy, or racist white supremacy?
4: If that's the definition, then yes, I have to agree with that.
3: Okay, okay. Um, Just pointing this out for the listeners, it's been my experience that non-white people don't believe that that's true. They have a very difficult time grasping that, even though Tim Wise, when he was here, agreed, agreed that that would apply to himself, even, that he would be a racist white supremacist according to that definition. Um, Can you explain why that is true? Using that as the definition, can you explain why that would be true for every white person in a system of
0: white supremacy?
4: Yeah. given I think I'll try. (laughs) Given your definition or the definition you gave, it gives so much room for any white person to be unconsciously doing it, consciously doing it directly or indirectly, doing something that is in some way oppressing or, or mistreating people of color. And I just see evidence of it every single day with everybody I've ever met. Um, who, who's white. And, um, and so if that's the definition, then yes. I think that's not necessarily what people think of when they hear those terms, but given your definition, yes, there's so much that um, is not – there's so much that happens that is not recognized as coming from a culture of oppression um, that white people do on a regular basis that um, – it makes sense to me that um, that your definition or the definition given um, can really encapsulate so much. And, you know, using the theoretical language of the time, you know, the microaggressions, if you just even look at it at that point, um, those, um, those moments where a, a white person, and the, the context I'm in is working um, in and around and with a lot of people who would um, name colorblindness as their, um, way of approaching the world, and when I ask more questions about that, a great many of them will talk about, um, especially if they're a, a generation just elder to me. Um, especially people who are in their, let's say, late 40s, mid 50s, who grew up sort of, you know, post um, Civil Rights era, and will name. But I was told to do this. I, you know, colorblindness. This is the way to go. This is the way to do things better. And what I've come to really realize is that um, when white people particularly take on the language of colorblindness, it does a number of things that are extremely destructive, and the first of which is it convinces them that they aren't doing anything destructive, and so when a person of color might offer an objection, to say, hey, did you notice, you know, you did this thing, and this thing really was injurious, or, you know, if, if they say the thing was racist, even more so, the the person will name their color blindness as a reason that couldn't possibly be true. And that in and of itself ends up being a, a, an abuse by saying, you know, you can't possibly be accurate about what I just did. So... You know, and that's just a tiny little piece of, of what I think happens, I mean, all the time, right? It's, um, I mean, I see it every day.
3: Me too. Me too. Um, and I think that is very important in, with regards to eroding the uh, incorrect connection that non-white people have to the term racist, white supremacist, in thinking Klan, Adolf Hitler, uh, Neo Nazis uh, thinking, you know, arch segregationist uh, standing in front of a door blocking people or throwing coffee on someone and just thinking, white person, any white person in a system of white supremacy, that's the connection that you should be making. The white person that you sit next to every day, your neighbor, the white people that you think are cool and attend the white privilege conference, yes. Tim Wise, yes. Every white person in a system of white supremacy and probably doing things that you're not even aware of, maybe even doing things that they're not aware of, because that's how pervasive this system is, uh, in my view. That's how much the system has been refined, where, again, it doesn't even – being conscious, in my view, doesn't even matter. The default setting is practice racism. If you are a white person, that's what the default setting Setting is So I think that's very important. I hope non-white people will really pay attention to that, think on it uh, as, we, as we move in the broadcast. Um, you brought up colorblind. I was going to that next uh, directly from your book. Uh, on page 44, uh, you were talking about how uh, this, this, I guess, concept or, or idea of colorblindness ends up being another way to perpetuate the system of white supremacy. And uh, I'll just read what you wrote. Uh, You said that uh, colorblindness implies that there is something negative about being associated with color and that there is no value in being recognized as a person of color. In essence, we are saying I don't hold this – and the we is white people, I, I think. In essence, we are saying I don't hold this part of who you are against you. Although there are many people of color who use this term to denote that they do not hold our whiteness against us, there are far more who reject the colorblindness approach for the above reasons. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit?
4: Yeah, I was trying to make a distinction. I I mean, I, I have some people in my life, some Some people of color who um, are extremely spiritually grounded, loving, loving people, and are really making a conscious effort to um, try and live in a world of... um, love and forgiveness and uh, acceptance and um, with those colleagues, friends, particularly um, when they say they're being colorblind and if I've talked to them about it particularly, they let me know that this is, this is their effort at, you know, at, at working with everybody, <laughs> you know, even if people are mistreating them. And, um, and I think that's a different thing than when I talk to people from my white community who are saying, well, I'm colorblind, because so often what that ends up meaning is I will not, I mean, and I do believe they mean I will not consciously treat somebody poorly. I, I do think that they mean that, but I also think there's a particular defensive part that's really close under the surface, which says, and I'm not part of that thing called race racism out there other people are part of that i'm so glad i'm not so you can trust me not to treat you bad um and so I think when a lot of white people are naming colorblindness, there's something subtle to it that is, and maybe not so subtle, but I think you know, trying to indicate that they're a safe person to be around um, or that they are somehow um, not complicit in racism, white supremacy, and all of that. And I think if challenged about that, um, there's very often a, a quick defense. And I don't think that's the same thing that happens when people of color are asked about race. <laughs> I think it's just a completely different dynamic.
3: Do you think a part of that, uh, that, quick, that quick defensiveness uh, to, you know, hey, I'm, I'm colorblind, I don't, I don't see color, you know, everybody's just a person, well, all the human race, do you think that that could further suggest, um, hey, Every white person is racist, and in my view, every white person is conscious to some degree that they are racist and that they are culpable in the global system of white supremacy.
4: I think there's more of fear about being associated with it than a consciousness, and, that, and I absolutely recognize that that's a viewpoint. But my experience with people I've grown up with and been all around, I really don't think a lot of them believe that they're doing anything wrong um it it takes some work to um to to get them to to see some things
3: Hmm. i'm just i'm recalling um eula Biss. she's a professor at northwestern and she authored uh notes from no man's land and she's a white person Uh, In the conclusion of that book, she says – and it's a pretty powerful quote, but she says that white people uh, have a fear of retribution from non-white people. And she went in detail about it when she was on the program, but basically I asked her how many white people does she think uh, have this fear uh, of retribution from non-white people. And she said I think almost all white people have this fear. And I just thought, wow, uh, again, to me, that would suggest at some level uh, a conscious awareness of white people have done horrible things to non-white people worldwide under the system of white supremacy. Being a white person, I am culpable in that, and at some point, there might be vengeance. Um, what do you think about that statement? Do you think that's accurate? Do you think she's in her assumption about white people – feeling that they might uh, they might be due for some retribution
4: well i think i think there's um, and i think this is where the colorblindness part is so pernicious and problematic is that i think that there are many i don't disagree with her that people fear retribution if asked about something like that, that it it would rise up and go, hmm, you know, if they're being really, really honest, I think that's probably true for very, very, very many. But I don't think they would say that they agree that it's because of anything they did. I think they would say it's because of the history. I think they feel very removed. I think many, many, many white people feel very removed from racism and the history of racism. And so they don't personally feel culpable. They feel that they're going to get lumped in with this thing that they don't really identify with, that Excuse they me? don't think they did any of it. Excuse me? Mm-hmm.
5: Um, what do you mean by uh, removed?
4: Remove meaning that they are separated, that they aren't part of a system that's currently doing damage to other people. I think that's where the color blindness thing comes in, where if they're blind to color, then they aren't acting out of racism. And, they're, and I think a lot of people also don't agree that um, there is any systemic problem left. I think I hear that, uh, very much, and that's just that other. There's another little piece next to the colorblindness that I like to, they, they often go together, but they're also a distinct thing. There's a lot of people who believe that we have enough legislation to stop any sort of systemic racism from occurring. And so you add those two things together, and we have a whole bunch of people who do not believe that they are part of this thing anymore and that um, racism is a thing that happens by other people and that um, the system is already taken care of. And so, yes, I think there's fear, but I don't think people believe that it's due to them and what they do.
5: Okay. Um, thank you for the clarification. Um, what's your definition of colored blind?
4: The way I'm using it as I talk today is um, colorblindness meaning, particularly from and said by a white person, that they do not, um, and I'm not going to say I don't see color, but I think what that means, what people are trying to suggest by colorblindness is that they do not see race as important. They do not act toward people in a certain way because of their race they do not make decisions about people for people how to treat people based on race i think that's what people mean
5: okay i just want to just uh ask one question and just some clarification on uh on, on removed uh so uh go ahead and say what say uh what you were saying
4: I think I, I think I got it all out. I appreciate that. Thanks for the, the opportunity to clarify that for you.
3: hmm uh, Do you have some other questions, Justice?
5: Oh, no. Not at this moment. Thank you.
3: Um, I'm kind of hopping back to the, uh, the introduction uh, to uh, your book, Witnessing Whiteness, the First Steps Towards an Anti-Racist Practice and culture. Uh, this is from page uh, page six. Um, says uh, so. I find myself incompletely recovered from my initiation into seeing whiteness. Uh, I began to ask some questions. What should the next phase of my racial identity development look like? I realized that for quite some time, I had been seeking validation from people of color to help me see myself as a worthy person in the world. My sense of self had relied upon the black teachers at my school site who said I was not a regular, in quotes, white person. I recalled the satisfaction I felt when the black counselors and administrators called me an angel, in quotes, for my work when some of the Latina Latino Latina parents and I spent time together, I felt valuable because of the service in quotes I could provide. Um I just found that very interesting. Could you could you elaborate on that a little bit?
4: Yeah, I'm. Um I think that there is um, and I'm going to call it common because the the group that I work with that you named in the introduction for me um it's uh, the acronym aware this group that I've been meeting with for a number of years it was really through those meetings that I learned that i wasn't alone um, dealing with uh, you know experiencing a bunch of these things and uh, and this this element was really deep it was that um i though I would not have called it at this at that time but there was sufficient white guilt in me at that time that i wanted to do something i understood that i had been privileged but i didn't define it as white privilege at that time but i knew i had been and what i would have the terms i would have used at the time were lucky and fortunate and i hear them all the time oh i'm so lucky i'm very fortunate i want to give back i want to do service i want to help and it's that same old cliched image of sort of the you know the white do gooder or the the that you know person who's gonna come in and, and be helpful and, and give of themselves and you know there may be great intention for it but um what I recognized was this really um you know it it's this it's this subtle thing where I'm really trying to find out, you know, how I can be a good person in the world. I want to be seen as valuable. I want to somehow make up for the fact that I've received privileges and you know good fortune more than others. So what can I do about that? And um, especially at that time when I'm starting to see how race and class have affected, um, as you said, globally, right? Um, and where I'm sitting within a system of it, starting to see complicity going on and and my role in it and my personal role in it and all of that stuff. I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel good. So how can I feel good? I want to work against these things. Well, how do I do that? My model was what a mo- uh, the same model that's given to a lot of people. It's that sort of white savior person. And, um, and so in addition um, to that, and this is where that angel, that regu- not regular thing, and I admit um, if, if this show convinced all people of color to not, tell anybody they're a different sort of white person again I think that would be a really really good thing because it was hearing those messages of you're a different sort of white person you're you're um, not like those other people that I could dissociate myself with that white community that was frustrating to me that did not seem anymore to exemplify the values that I was starting to want to emulate and why was that dangerous? It, it was dangerous because um, in trying to distance myself from other white people and really fall into um, a, a life where I was surrounding myself with people of color and you know, getting these good feelings from people of color um, and finding my, my value in that, um, number one, it stopped me from seeing that I had a job to do, which was to help um, reveal these issues to my white colleagues in my white um, community and, you know, finding a way to relate to them um, in a way that that, um, did, as you earlier said, you know, kind of work against um, deception. And and then in addition, um, it made me really um, needy and needy in a way that stopped me from seeing other white allies as my mentors, not that there were – people around me in my local community, but I wasn't necessarily prompted to go locate them because people of color's voices were more important than other white white allies' voices. And to some degree I can understand where, you know, it's really um, important to be opened up to people of color voices if you haven't done so before, but to then rely on people of color to become your mentors, your aides, um, the people who give you the strokes that make you feel good, that, that in and of itself ends up very often being an abusive relationship, um, with the, the classic sort of needy white girl. And, um, I think I, uh, I was really dangerous close to either being that, um, to a lot of people. I think I was, you know, really, really that for at least a couple, um, but, um, but there there's a lot that goes into that. I don't know if there's another piece you want me to speak to on that.
3: Um, would it be accurate to uh, Would it be accurate to say that um, the value of non-white people perceiving you as being different from other white people uh, that they did not see you as a racist? Would that be accurate?
4: I think that was part of the message they were delivering, yes. I think that's what I took it as. I think them saying that I was an angel, them saying that I was different, um, was yes, that they saw um, white people as being um, uh, whatever those qualifications are that make somebody, you know, quote unquote, um, I guess, the, the, the associated meanings with whiteness, that they didn't see me. Um, acting those out. And there's so many of those associations that I think racist is probably just one of them. Um, but then all the other things probably fall underneath it in some way, too. So, yeah.
3: Um, see. Justice, did you have uh, some questions you wanted to ask? Uh-oh. <laughs> Justice, did you have some uh, question?
5: Uh, uh, no, not right now. Thank you.
3: Okay, I'm gonna double check with my uh, Bay Area listener as well. Uh, Bay Area listener, did you have uh, questions, or are you still just listening for now? I'm still
2: just listening
3: for now. Okay. Good. I see one person that did call with a hand up. I'll go ahead and get them now, since uh, they might be excited. Person that called in at two five nine five, did you have a question?
6: Yes, I did. Good evening, Gus. This is um, Please, Right
3: on. How are you doing?
6: All right. How are you? Hello, Ms. Tochuk. I believe I, I, I may be mispronouncing your name, so I apologize. It's how okay. are you this evening? It's like It's doing well. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, I'd like to just make a real quick comment, and then I have a question for you. Uh, this is just my opinion. Um, I don't believe, uh, you know, you guys were discussing the terms whiteness, white supremacy, and whether, and other terms, and whether they meant the same thing. Uh, I personally think whiteness would not exist without white supremacy. Uh, Whiteness is more like a political identity. It's not a racial identity because white people are not white. There's no country or continent called White Land. So I don't believe whiteness and white supremacy and white people can be separated. Um, And the other statement I wanted to make was when I hear a white person tell me that they're colorblind, I know I'm probably dealing with a person that's practicing racism because my thinking is why are you denying color unless it means something bad to you or you are guilty of doing something wrong to a person of color? And when I hear a black person say they're colorblind, I know that I'm listening to someone who has submitted to white supremacy and are so terrified of being uh, targeted by white people that they're in denial of the fact that that, uh, they're in denial of, of what they're actually dealing with. Uh, the question I have is, and if you can make a comment about what I just said, that's fine. The question I have is, do you think it's realistic to think that, with our collective history, that white people will ever truly give up a system of privilege and power? Um, do you, you think that that could even—that's even a possibility that something like that would happen without yeah. without them being ma- being forced to give it up?
4: Sure. Sure. Um... Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um I agree with what you said in terms of your comments. I can't speak to I mean, your your experience with other people of color and, and your opinion about that. Um I mean I, I don't have as much insight on that as you do. So I, I wouldn't speak against uh, against your interpretation whatsoever. Um in terms of what do I think about what's possible, um to be honest, I, I will admit that what keeps me active in doing this is recognizing that I'm a small part of an extremely long struggle. I do not see this um, being, I mean, if, if resolution is ever possible, I don't see um, racism and white supremacy being undone in my lifetime. I wish I could say I did, mm-hmm. um, but I don't. I, and I don't know what forces are going to show up that are going to, Tip the balance and shift things such that um, there is major change. But your question about white people collectively choosing to forego the privilege um, as as a whole, no, I I I don't see that. Um, I wish I did.
6: Yeah, uh, I so do I. I think uh, until white people are willing to move beyond talking and tokens like a few scholarships, political appointments, whatever, I think until they are willing to give up something real or substantial that requires hardship on their part, then, black, then people of color should not take their efforts as sincere. And I also think that if, if white people are really trying to make amends collectively, then the first thing they need to do is ask the victims what needs to be done. Because just like if you're the victim of a crime, you, the criminal should not decide the punishment. The victim should decide. And that might sound harsh, but the only way a person can prove that they're sincere is if they're willing to suffer for the misdo. And I don't mean suffer as in physical pain, I mean economic pain. Uh, and until white people collectively move to that point where, you know, if, if I have ten million dollars and I give you a hundred, that's not a sacrifice. But you'll look at yourself and pat yourself on the back and say, Hey, I gave you a hundred but now if I've got ten million and I give you seven or eight or 9 nonsincere. non-sincere. So that's the last comment I wanted to make, and uh, I appreciate you giving me a chance to make that comment. Thank
4: you. I imagine that thanks goes to Gus, so thanks.
3: Thanks to everybody. Thank you for calling in. She's uh, also an investor and a uh, previous guest, uh, co-author of Trojan Horse, Death of a Dark Nation. Uh, she was just on the program uh, last week, last Wednesday. Uh, you can go back and check the archives, and uh, I think she said she would be agreeable to coming back. So we should uh, should be hearing from her again down the road. Um, yeah, um, I guess the the, the pushback um, that I wanted to make, I, I think it's, it's really really important um, for for non-white people. We already touched on being a white person in a system of white supremacy, means racist, white supremacist, which I think is very important for non-white people to understand. I also think it's very important, and again, I want to point out, you wrote this book for white people. Is that correct?
4: Pretty much, yeah.
3: Okay, okay. I, I think that's important, too, if any non-white people are listening. Very important. Um, in fact, I would say I, I would not recommend this book for non-white people. Uh, your intended audience is white people, and I think that comes across in the book. I think this might cause confusion for non-white people, Um, I think it's very important to get it established early. I have concluded that the evidence suggests white people are not going to stop practicing racism, white supremacy, and I think that is extremely important for non-white people to understand what that means. White people are not going to voluntarily discontinue mistreating people who are not white. Um, every white person that I've asked who's been on this program has said yes, the evidence would suggest that that is true. Uh, Do you feel that's a true statement?
6: I think if
4: you're speaking in a full generality of the the, the full white population, I think evidence would suggest that that's true. Um, I think there are individuals who are attempting to um, disengage from that, but I think that that people who are doing that are – Still in a in a vast minority of the of the white population.
3: Which people do you think are attempting to do this to not be racist?
4: I think he, I mean I mean what do you mean by which people? Well, I,
1: think there, think
4: I think that there I think there are individuals I think there are individuals that I know I think um, you know some of the individuals that um, are. Uh, attentive to the kinds of, um, you know, people that you've brought on in the past, like you said, sort of that master's class, you know, Paul Kivel and Tim Wise and Peggy. Some people um, who are being really attentive to trying to interrogate themselves, um, looking at what they're doing and and how the system operates, I think, are sincere in their efforts. I, I do believe that, but I think that um, still the people who are um, – with sincerity really trying to act in an anti-racist fashion that is honest about how deep it is entrenched is still um, a very small number.
3: Not statistically significant. I'm um, borrowing a term from uh, Dr. Combone, uh The number of these white people who allege to be against racism, white supremacy, they are not statistically significant. Um, and I would even say further, the people that I listed, uh, Tim Wise, Dr. Peggy McIntosh, uh, I have no belief at all that these people are sincerely interested in replacing white supremacy with justice. Just their conduct on this program alone suggests to me that they are not interested in replacing white supremacy with justice. Um, Tim Wise, uh, he referenced other non-white people who work against racism. He referenced their work as pseudoscientific bullshit. Uh, he got an attitude with justice. He was 10 at the time. He got an attitude with her when she asked him if he is a racist. Um, him getting an attitude with a non-white person, period, to me, causes an, a raised eyebrow. But in particular, for him to get an attitude with a 10-year-old, he asks, are you a racist? And he gets an attitude that... That says a lot for me. Uh, Peggy McIntosh, when she was here, got an attitude because uh, I used the term white supremacy, and she said she didn't want to use that term. She wanted to use the term white privilege, uh, which was – I didn't get mad because she did that, but I did point out consistently. She wrote an article within the last year where one of the suggestions that she gave was white people should be more willing to use the term white supremacy black and white, bold-faced print in her report, then she came on the program and she refused to use it. She didn't agree with my definition of white supremacy, but she wouldn't volunteer her own definition of the term. So I have seen no evidence that any of these white people can honestly say, I'm really against racism, I'm really about working hard to eradicate this system. I can't even say that, but at minimum, these white people are not statistically significant we at least have agreement on that is that accurate
4: you know i i don't know about numbers but um I, it's definitely way lower than the majority i mean it's uh I, I tend to say that you know even to anybody i'll tend to talk about how i i i believe i'm probably you know my opinions about the world are held by maybe two percent of the population i tend to say that so if that's statistically insignificant then there you go
3: uh, I think that might even be overshooting, but, you know, 2%, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let folks evaluate for themselves if you think 2% is statistically significant. Um, and I think for me that goes right to what uh, you're writing on page 216. I'll, I'm just going to read what, uh, what you have here. It says, uh, this is a non-white person who's talking, um, Jennifer, non-white person. Also said that moving through this experience with Karen helps diminish the fears she recognizes she once had when interacting with whites. In fact, when asked about her openness to having me, a white woman, come into her home for these interviews, she credited her relationship with Karen. That's one of the things I can see came out of our friendship. I'm not afraid of white people. Not that I have ever consciously, uh, not that I ever consciously was, but I feel less threatened, like I've got to protect myself around them. Um, I have a huge problem if the result of a non white person's contact with a white person is that they feel uh, a minimized or a reduced need to protect themselves when they have contact with white people man, I feel like that is terrible and should never happen in a system of white supremacy. Uh, what are your thoughts on
4: that? I think that's Jennifer's experience, and I just needed to lay it out there as it is. Um, it's, it's, if, there, if there's anything I am trying to hold true to, it's that um, speaking in terms of what people of color ought to do or not do is really not for me to say. I think your voice should be stronger on that.
3: If we can not personalize it to Jennifer, do you think in a system of white supremacy that it would be logical and safe for non-white people to remain suspicious of every white person at all times, no exception, and they should really keep their guard up any they have contact with a white person? Do you think that would be helpful and logical?
4: I think that would be going too far for me.
3: That would be, you don't think that would be beneficial?
4: Not the way you framed it, no.
3: What would, uh, why not? Could you explain?
4: Yeah, I think, that, um, I think that there are, I think people need to be able to make their own judgments based on the context and their own personal history um, with who they're dealing with and what that environment um, offers them. And so to make a blanket statement like that feels like it's going too far. Um, However, um, when I am with students and we are talking about um, the way that many uh, parents will teach their children to be Careful <laughs> and to um, recognize how uh, race plays out in order to prepare them for dealing with the system and with a population that is likely to do damage i I don't disagree with that. I think it's the absolutes, the always and forever, and with everyone. I think that um, that doesn't really offer the freedom for individuals to make their own conscious choices, but in general. Um, Is it still worthwhile, Um, and do I hear people continuing to name the importance of preparing their, you know, their kids for entering a a system where um, they're going to be receiving messages about, you know, inferiority, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I understand that.
3: Hmm. Okay. This is, I guess, I'm sounding the alarm for non-white people I think you are consciously and or unconsciously practicing racism uh, because we already have agreement. Every white person in a system of white supremacy is a racist. Um, If that is true, I cannot understand logically what would be incorrect, non-beneficial, or illogical about a non-white person saying I am going to be suspicious at all times, of every white person worldwide, I am not understanding the disconnect uh, in that and where you see a problem or where you see that not being beneficial. In fact, the only thing I can conclude is that for you, a racist white supremacist, it would not be in the best interest of maintaining the system of white supremacy if all non white people were suspicious. Of every white person, and even forget suspicion if all non white people operated on the truth that being white in a system of white supremacy means being racist, and I'm going to function with every white person as if this person is a racist.
4: I think I absolutely understand when people have that um, question in their mind when they approach people. I think. Why I said what I did and where I think it's, it's not in opposition to the allowance for people to make those choices to operate that way is simply recognizing that as a white person, I do not feel that it's for me to judge if that is how they ought to act. So I prefer the freedom of people making the choice of which environments and which individuals they continue to have that suspicion about
3: i just want to clarify for listeners i didn't ask you if you thought non-white people ought to function in that manner i asked if it would be beneficial if it would be logical and constructive for non-white people to behave in that manner i didn't ask you uh if you think they ought to do that or to even tell non-white people that they should although i think that would be great If white people were telling non-white people, I think this is something that you all should do, or at minimum, you should consider, because it's true, white people are racist. Every white person, even the white people that you think are not racist, even me, even Tim Wise, all white means racist, white supremacist. I think that would be great, Um, but I believe we have uh, someone else had a question, uh, non-white, Witch, if you have a question, your line should be open. Hello, can I be heard? Hello, doctor, are you there? Yes, yes. Oh, thank you uh, for coming on the, the program this evening. Um, I wanted to know, um, have you ever, or I mean, are you now, have you ever been engaged in a sexual relationship with a non-white person?
4: be honest i'm not sure i feel comfortable answering that question um just that it's just extremely personal um however um i have had um significant relationship love love feelings um for people that are that are not white
3: okay thank you I just want to make sure I heard that correctly. You said uh, that was too personal, or can you just restate what your
2: response,
4: please? Yeah, I think I think my sexual experience is too personal. But um, regardless of whether it entered that realm or not, I've definitely had deep, deep feelings. And as, as I wrote in the book, I, I fell very deeply in love with an African American man um, at, at one time, and uh, and I, I wrote about this that you know he. Um, decided not to date me because I was white. And that was a really challenging experience. It was a deep learning experience for me.
3: I just wanted to point that out for listeners. She, uh, Dr. Shelley uh, Uh, she talks about this in witnessing whiteness, uh, on page, uh, 46 and 47, uh, of the book. And, uh, what I thought was interesting is that you acknowledged that, uh, I'll just read what you wrote. Uh, that love does not and should not know racial boundaries. However, sensitivity is in order. Transcending race should not mean refusing to acknowledge how our actions affect others. Um, I felt that was very interesting because I've pointed out for a long time that I believe, not only do I believe that sexual intercourse between non-white people and white people, i.e. racists, is incorrect under a system of white supremacy uh, because uh, the non-white person involved ends up being very confused about racism and white supremacy. I've also said that it has an adverse impact on other non-white people, and I felt it was very interesting that you pointed out uh, in the book, um, you elaborated on how these relationships do impact, other non-white people, and I just uh, I thought that was important, and it's rare uh, to have people consider that when they talk about those relationships. Um, could you share why you felt that was important to to include that aspect in the book?
4: Sure, um, I I included that in a section that talks about the idea of transcendence, and I think it is extremely common, um, uh, particularly among white people, to uh, claim that that uh, sometimes related to colorblindness, but oftentimes not. Just that, well, you know, um, especially for people who are really naming a spiritual orientation, that somehow they have transcended race or beyond race. Don't don't see the importance of race, and oftentimes that is in a way to, that is a way to um, not uh, deal with. What, and I thought, you know, racial baggage, you know, the, the, the racism that's been um, infused in our psyche since, you know, for, for all of our growing up years and if we are in this culture particularly is what I'm talking about. And, and so I think that um, often how it's used, and this is what I've seen it used by or the conversation I hear is, well, we've transcended race. So um, in this relationship, who cares what somebody else thinks, they are clearly less evolved. And even if they're not saying those words, I think it's what is implied, that somehow people who are still naming racism, um, people who are still shouting it out and calling it out as something that needs to be grappled with and dealt with and, you know, um, and disrupted um, both individually and systemically are the problem. They're the ones naming it. They're the ones who can't get over it, can't get beyond it. And and I don't... And I, and I wanted to, to name that, that, um, that that ends up being exactly counter to what I think the effort of a spiritual orientation would be, which is to be more um, inclusive, more whole, all of those those names that, that often come with spirituality of, of oneness. But if one is really trying to live in oneness, then um, disparaging people for raising issues um, is not, <laughs> shouldn't be part of that. I think it, it's it's a it's confused. I think it, um, it allows people to not be sensitive to other people's opinions and, um, and issues. Um, I don't mean issues like their are other people's issues, but um, concerns. Um, and, and to, to not um, at least try and be understanding about it and see where people are coming from instead of dismissing um, immediately. And I, I think that's often what happens is uh, people of color's questions are dismissed as not being appropriately evolved, and I reject that.
3: I, I want to, if I may, I want to read another passage uh, from the book uh, concerning this matter. Um, At that time, I could not see why the injury to black women was important or, more correctly, I did not want to care about what this man saw and what black women would feel. This is in response to the black male um, saying that he was not willing to pursue a uh, relationship, sexual relationship uh, with a white person, specifically our guest, Dr. Shelley Tuckluck. Uh, I'll start again. At that time, I could not see why the injury to black women was important or more correctly, I did not want to care about what this man saw and what black women would feel i could not grasp why what someone else thought about our potential relationship made a difference i'm going to read that sentence again i could not grasp this is a white person an admitted racist if i have understood our conversation correctly since she's white and all white people are racist an admitted racist saying i could not grasp why what someone else particularly non-black women, I could not grasp why what someone else thought about our potential relationship made a difference. I recall saying things like, why can't we can't be responsible for their feelings? We should be punished for something we were not a part of. This is an admitted racist saying this. Why can't we just be beyond race? Even though I thought I transcended race and was ready to be in a relationship with anyone, that very belief caused me to become insensitive to the effects my actions would have on others. I only concerned, I was only concerned about myself. This is from page 47 of Witnessing Whiteness, uh, First Steps Toward an Anti-Racist Practice. And culture by Dr. Shelley Tuckluck. Um, I let the I let the passage speak for itself. Listeners can come to their uh, to their own conclusion. Um, did uh, I wanted to check Bay Area caller since this was your recommendation? Did you have uh, any questions you wanted to ask? Bay no, Area no caller, question. did you? Oh.
2: No
5: questions yet.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. Justice, did you have questions?
5: Um, what do white people want to do with non-white
4: people? Can you tell me more about, um, what you mean by that? Um, like,
5: uh... Like, uh... When white people like put non-white people uh, in in slaves, uh, well, uh, when well, non-white people were slaves, um, yeah, like kind of like that. Like, what do what do white people want to do with non-white people?
4: Do you mean like right now, or do you mean in the past when when they were enslaved? Do you, do you mean like right now? What do white people want to do with people of color? Like right now? Yes. Right now oh, okay. Um, I think there are a great many white people who would like people of color to take on um, as much of the cultural values that white people have decided are um, important to them as possible, and um, uh, I guess the the word for that would be assimilation. Um, Now, that's an impossible thing um, (laughs) in terms of – it's just an impossible thing. Um, But I think that there are a lot of white people who would very much like people of color to act um, and uh, and hold opinions very much like themselves. I think um, that would – from many white people's point of view, allow the culture to um, have less disagreement. And, um, and I'm not saying I agree with this, um, but I, I do think that is um, what a lot of people want, is uh, a lessening of diverse values of opinion, because when you have diversity um, and want to um, – have equality within that diversity or you know treat people um well treat different people well it might mean you have to change something and so if white people are being asked to change which i believe they are um and are resisting that then the opposite for that is to try to get them to be like them um us white people um or at least the culture that many white people have gotten socialized into i think that's extremely common um, yeah.
5: Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I was just going to try and be, you know, really specific. I, I suppose it's um, it uh, it 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 would um, pervade. I mean, all sorts of different things: um, uh, manner of speech, manner of dress, manner of walking, manner of interacting with other people, um, the way, yeah, just all sorts of different things. Gets really particular, probably. Go ahead.
5: Okay. um, What suggestions do you know of how to replace fights from with justice And please give me
4: some suggestions that I can understand. Can you say it again? Because I kind of didn't hear you for a couple of your words there.
5: Okay. um, What suggestions do you know? of how to replace white supremacy with justice, and please give me some suggestions that I can understand.
4: I think there's another piece I got right when you were saying justice. There's a word you said in front of that that I didn't hear. Replace
5: white supremacy? Oh, replace, okay.
4: Replace white supremacy with justice? Yes. Okay, okay. I'm going to want to think about that for just a second, so I can think of some good ways to talk about it. Um, okay. Yeah, replacing white supremacy with justice. What are some ways? Um, I'll give I'll give some ways um, that I think are appropriate um, to let's just say education. This is what I'm I'm familiar with. Um, in my life where I I see white supremacy playing out regularly, and that is in um, ways of disciplining young people. And so um, one way I think of replacing white supremacy with justice would be taking a second look and um, changing policies related to suspensions and expulsions of kids in schools. I think um, allowing there to be um, different ways of... um, Of responding um, to kids is essential. Um, I think that regardless of who is in charge at a school these days, whether the person is a a white person or a person of color who may be an administrator enacting certain policies, those policies may still be white supremacist policies, especially if they're disproportionately affecting students of color. Um, I think um, working with teachers to help them see how to um, teach and communicate with their students, to reduce um, the referrals for suspensions and expulsions. I think those are two just really concrete ways. Um, and uh, and those, are, those are ways that, that it's more uh, teachers um, would be responsible for. And, uh, and I think we still have a majority of teachers in the country who are white. So I think that message... Um, Really still needs to get out to uh, to them as as some pretty important ways to change the lives of uh, of young people of color in this country
5: All right, thank you um go ahead Jeff
2: oh okay,
3: good I thought you had another question um the main, the crux of of what I'm sharing now, um, it's what it's something I've said often. I think uh man, I don't call Timothy Wise. I make an effort not to call him Tim Wise because I think his name is really catchy. The bottom line is I don't believe Tim Wise is really about replacing white right supremacy with justice and I think his conduct on this program has evidenced that. But at any rate, I don't call him Tim Wise because I think the name is too catchy, right? I think uh, non-white people or white people, if you get involved in studying racism, white supremacy, you're going to run into Tim Wise like, man, he might be the first name that you come in contact with when you start to study seriously racism, white supremacy, and I think that is that is disgusting. That is disgusting, and uh, I hope that uh, part of my measurement of effectiveness in countering racism will be Tim Wise going out of business, that he cannot... White people give him no value at all. I guess shared at the beginning of the program about how it was valuable that non-white people not see her as a racist white supremacist, and I think that's one thing non-white people can can do, remove all value from white people. I'm not saying be disrespectful. I think we've had a a courteous dialogue, but... I do not think of this white person, Tim Wise, any other white person. I think of them as a racist white supremacist. And I suspect that's why this program is very different from a lot of other programs and very different from other conversations that you hear between a non-white person and a white person. And I think you're actually getting very accurate information. The point of all that efficiency, white people really make an effort to make non-white people not time-wise. They make us very inefficient. I don't feel like we're getting efficient responses. Justice, the answers that she just gave to your question, do you understand ways that you, as an 11-year-old non-white person, could work against racism? Um, Not really. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. If someone asked me, Gus, can you tell my 11-year-old some things that would help them work against white supremacy, Quick one, I could hey, white people are racist. You should expect that white people are going to practice racism consciously, unconsciously. That's one thing you could do. If you don't remember anything else I say, white means racist, white supremacist. We have agreement on that. Is that correct, Dr. Uh, Tuckler? Yes. Okay. That would be something you could tell. Any non-white. That's something you could do. That's something you could tell any non-white person, any age, that would be accurate, beneficial, and logical. Something they could do that would be constructive to work against racism, white supremacy like today. That's something you can do right now. Everybody, any non-white person anywhere on the planet, that's something you can change about your thought, speech, and action right now. That's efficient. I'm not feeling efficiency, uh, from, unless you think what I just said is incorrect. Is anything about what I just said incorrect?
4: You know, I know what I, what I um, recall was um, in, in searching for um, the answer to, to Justice's question, I didn't hit the question correctly. So my apologies for, uh, for not giving a, a, an answer appropriate to her question.
3: You want to try again?
4: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Justice. So um, as you are seeking to replace white supremacy with justice and you as an 11-year-old and what can you do, um, I would continue to invite you to name injustice when you see it. I would encourage you to build your community around you for people who understand these issues and um, make sure you're not alone when you confront these issues or at least try not to be. Try to bring people around you that also can speak to this. Um, Practice using your voice about these things. Um, And I would also say not to give up when white people are um, defensive or resistant to your ideas. But try to continue to communicate with them, and if they are not trying to hear you, to see if there is somebody that is um, in a supervisory position to them that you can talk to. Um, And if there is um, something that is completely egregious that you run into, As you move forward, um, let them know that you are willing to be vocal about the way you see race playing out and where you see racism arising. those, Those are things I would say to you. Okay,
5: thank you. You're
4: welcome.
3: Context of White Supremacy, Gusty, Renegade, Justice, our guest, Shelly Puckluck. Um, uh, Bay Area caller seems like she has questions now. Bay Area caller, uh, go right ahead.
2: I wanted to ask, it's um, one of the things I think, um, Dr. Tushluck, when I was at one of your presentations, um, you mentioned that white people have a tendency to like to separate themselves from like neo-Nazi, KKK kinds of groups. Can you talk more about your thought on why that is?
4: Yeah, I think that um, we are living in a time where, um, thankfully, um, when somebody is doing something that is absolutely widespread, um, understood and named as racism that the, the culture tends to say that that's bad and people don't want to look like they're associated with bad things. And so the KKK is um, – and things that, that, have, um, that have been – yeah, you know, white supremacy is really feeling like it's being isolated to just the KKK right now as sort of an avowed who's saying they are this thing. Um, and I think because of that, people, people don't want to be part of that thing that is um, pushed out to the fringe, um, that is recognized as being um, absolutely violent and avowedly racist and whatnot. So for people who are not personally avowing that, um, who do not see themselves as participating in that, then the words white supremacy feel like it's um, including them is something they don't want to be a part of. Um, I talk a lot about um, this with my colleagues because we use the words white supremacy. Um, We talk about the white supremacist system, and um, we get challenged a lot on on us using those terms because it, you know, quote-unquote, it offends people or it scares them off and – You know, depending on our strategy for you know how much we want to keep people in the room or how much we want to get people in the room, um, using those terms um, is is absolutely an issue. Um, So I hope I'm answering your question correctly, but but I think that um, maybe I'm just restating, but I think people are really dissociating with the KKK. dissociating with the term white supremacy because they only associate it with the KKK, and that helps people not feel that they're part of something that has um, – cont- that something continuing that also still has roots in white supremacy, and I think that's, that is problematic. Did I – was I particularly accurate? I mean, did I, uh, did I answer that in the way that you were – You did. You did. Um, Can you talk about, I remember in your presentation there was a part
2: where you talked about people, um, things white people do to non-white people, such as there was a list of them, and I can't remember all of them, but I do recall one of them was like forcing them to prove things. Can you talk about that list?
4: Oh, boy, I don't have the list in front of me, and I don't have the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, the, oh, gosh, i got to get back to that slide. Right. Um, this was uh, this was a, a slide I think I was probably showing that had, am I right? There was an ostrich with the head in the sand on that, on that one. Um, I think that was pretty much me self-disclosing that these are a bunch of things I learned to do. And I was trying to say that I had to work myself out of a bunch of this stuff. And one of them was definitely about... Um, using sort of the um, devil's advocate was one that I had developed this idea that, you know, uh Questioning um, people to, to be so that they could prove that their perspective was accurate was something that I, I had learned to do. And so, you know, if, if a person of color would say to me, oh, you know, such and such this thing happened to me and it was racist or it happened because I'm, you know, I'm black or I'm, you know, I'm Latino or whatever, that um, I felt completely justified and felt that it was part of, of my job as a, a smart person to say, well, how do you know? and that I now recognize that that is just one of a number of things that put me in a position of, of really um, creating a damaging situation. Um, oh, what were some others? Um, some of these really came out of my teaching stuff, my teaching practice. Um, as a white teacher, I was um, it would be very easy for me to give advice to the parents who came in, um, uh, and, and I think the most important part was that it was unsolicited advice. I felt that it was my role, and my um, uh, it, it was uh, not just obligation even, but it was my right to tell people um, things that they could or should do in their home to that would be of benefit for um, for their, stu- their their children, and um, and I. I was not trained to see that um, that if I wanted to, to offer some opinion that I needed to ask if that was an opinion that was invited first. And so there was a, a great amount of disrespect in that um, that I was taught to do as well. And let's see. Um, I think I was, uh, I was taught to make judgments, I'm definitely taught to make judgments about um, why people did what they did um, and allow myself to put myself in their place to imagine what I would do as though there was any any equality in that. For example, and this is a conversation that was had a lot. Um, you know, why do people continue to live in a gang-infested environment? Oh my lord, I've heard that phrase more times than I can think of. And um, and the trained response is, well, if I lived there, I would do X. Um, or, you know, some sort of, of um, taking one's personal experience and then attributing it that everybody else has either the same interests, the same understandings, or the same, um, you know, privileges to, to do things in a different way. Or that even somebody would want to do things in a different way and, you know, without in any way understanding um, the situation that they were even talking about and, and taking those liberties um, to make judgments um, well, well ingrained in me. Those are, those are just a few that I think are probably on that list. Is there anything else?
3: Area caller, did you have another question, or are you satisfied? Oh, oh, oh! She switched lines on that. I didn't see that. Gotcha. Bay, Bay Area caller, uh, did you have other questions, or are you good? No more questions. Can you uh, hear me? Sorry.
2: Yeah. I no more questions. Thank
3: you. Okay, you, Um uh, let's see, person uh, person called in the block number. Person called with the block number. Did you have a question?
7: No questions at this time. Just listening.
3: Thank you. Right on. Right on. Investing. EbonyNewsChannel.blogspot.com. EbonyNewsChannel.blogspot.com. Uh, Mr. Nero, did you have a question? Mr. Nero? Uh, no, sir. Just listening. Okay. Investor. Thank you. Um, Person who called in five five nine four. Five five nine four. Did you have a question?
6: Oh uh, yes, this is Craig calling from the Midwest. Uh my question to the guest, um, with your time being on this planet, uh, could you give us three racial jokes that you have heard in your lifetime?
4: Oh gosh. Um I'm bad with jokes, even good ones, much less those. Uh, I'm sorry. Let's see. Uh, you know, that's one of the, and I'm not trying to evade your question. I just can't think of anything right now. I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. I've been around them um, to some degree um, at some point, whether it's just hearing on the news or whatever. But that, I, I, if you don't mind, I want to take the opportunity to make a to make a point that I think is. Um, has really been important um, for why I'm doing this stuff and, and the, the groups of people that I'm trying to work with really particularly is that I was raised in an environment where people didn't really talk about race a- at all and I mean people who would maybe if not call themselves good liberal people but you know, people who were beyond it they, that is the language that was used um, around me so I didn't grow up around people who told racial jokes um it's not really in my day-to-day environment um where people feel comfortable doing that um so i don't i don't have anything that comes to my mind right away that's not to say that they haven't always been around but i'm sorry i don't have any
3: i, I have a proposition i'm going to try this out with uh with white people in the future when racist jokes comes up because dr joe fagan Um, He uh, has written a lot about racism and white supremacy. He is an admitted racist. Uh, He was also on the program, and we talked about his book Two-Faced Racism, and he talked extensively about racist jokes, what role they serve in perpetuating racism and white supremacy, how racist jokes can serve to mark a certain space or territory as uh, racist white supremacy uh, terrain, um, extensive detail, Dr. Joe Fake. Are you, you're familiar with his work, yes?
4: Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, amazing, I mean, okay. good Wait stuff. A is, yeah. Wait a minute, yeah.
3: Wait a minute, yeah, yeah I agree, he has excellent stuff. Yeah. My uh, proposition, uh, he said this is so pervasive uh, in the system of white supremacy, the racist jokes, and it seems like you've heard them that you can't remember. I propose, I'll pitch you three, because I've heard racist jokes. I've asked white people to tell me the jokes because I think, they reveal a lot about racism, white supremacy. So I'll pitch you three, and you can just tell us if you've heard them or not. My experience sure. is that generally white people have heard all the racist jokes I know. That's been my experience, so we'll just get to see. Okay, uh, I'm reading this one because I heard this one before. What does Obama's change mean? Come help a nigger get elected. Have you heard that one before?
4: No. Oh, okay.
3: That's a, that is a first for me, first time. White person has not heard the racist joke I was sharing. Um, This is the first time I'm reading them offline. Normally I just tell one that people have shared with me, so I'll try one of those too. Um, What do you call one white person with ten black eyes?
4: I haven't heard this.
3: Wow. Wow. Quarterback. First time. First time. Someone told that to me. Um, I've actually heard that one a couple times. I think it's in a movie as well. I don't remember the film, but it's in a movie as well. Um, Let's see. Oh, it's in uh, Ray Don Chong. I did a counter-racist film review of Soul Man. It's in Soul Man. Uh, They're on Harvard campus, and the students are telling a series of racist jokes, and that's one of the jokes. Um, Mm. Let's see. How many – well, what do you call one – White man with 500 black males?
4: I don't
3: know. Wow. Warden, Warden, Warden. Um, Just the two that you've heard, do you think those jokes reveal a lot about the perception of not only white people, but black people and the relationship between white people? and black people, non-white people in a system of white supremacy?
4: Oh, yeah, yeah, just hearing that. I mean, because what I'm hearing, like especially that last one, I can imagine that being told not just by people who are um, making fun of people of color, but I can actually also imagine that being told by people who are invested in social justice and trying to name that it's common to understand that you know, people of color are predominantly ones locked up, et cetera. So, I, I mean, yeah, it absolutely reveals. It absolutely reveals the, 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 the problems that we've got. Yeah.
3: Okay. Okay. Um, and, and this should serve as evidence uh, to have a white person uh, come in and explain, hey, these jokes reveal a lot about the workings of racism and white supremacy. So no white person should be balking or getting upset if a non-white person requests, hey, could you share some of the racist jokes that you've heard? If you've heard them, could you share them? This would help me understand racism white supremacy. Correct, uh, Dr. Tuckler?
4: Oh, I think that's a nice way to approach it, yeah.
3: <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. Okay, I got one more. I got one more. Um, and I, I, I read this one. I read this one, and I think I've heard it as well, so we'll see. Um, what is the difference between a large pizza and a black male?
4: I have not heard this.
3: Wow. 0 oh for 3. You are first, a first on the cow. We were due. I think this has been like a year since we've had a first on the cow. So there we go. A first white person did not had not heard any of the jokes, uh, racist jokes that I told them. Uh, difference between a large pizza and a black male. A large pizza can feed a family of four.
4: Oh, wow. Yeah,
3: it's a whole other level, isn't it? Hope, uh, hope you all heard that. And they have tons of websites. Dr. Fagan talked about this. They have tons of websites where you can go, and they got pages and pages and pages uh, of these jokes. You can get non-white specific. They got ones for so-called Asians, so-called blacks, so-called Arabs. Uh, they got a ton of these. Go online, investigate, and think about what these jokes mean. They, they tell a lot. Justice, did you have a question? Yes, ma'am.
5: Yes, I'm not at this moment.
3: A person who called in from a block number, uh, you have a hand up, person from block number. You have a hand up. Uh, the person who called in from a block number with a hand up, did you have a question?
8: Hello, can I be heard?
1: Yes, I hear you. Oh,
8: yes. Yeah uh yes sir uh it's Africa eighteen eighty four I'm calling from Austria
3: really, we can hear you, sir. Thank you for calling in
8: Yes uh, I just had a question for your guest. go ahead uh and my question was um because I've been listening to the to the to the whole exchange that you've been having with the with the host, and uh, it seems to me that it's hard for you to accept the fact that uh, non-white people should have all white people that are able to practice racism white supremacy on the suspect list, yeah? So I just wanted to ask you, uh, what does a white person that's not practicing racism white supremacy do in all areas of people's activity, for example, in economics, in education, in labor, in law, in politics, sex, war, religion? What does a white person that's not practicing racism, white supremacy, what do they do?
4: I would like to name that um, in advance of answering your question. Um, we we didn't get to the the finer points of, of that one point, um, and, and guys, you can go back to this if you want as well. Um, I do think it's logical to be suspect of everybody. I'm not. Convinced it's beneficial um, or and I'm not sure what other word that was used, um, but that's the part that I wanted to leave open of, of whether it benefits somebody or not. that I don't feel like is for me to decide logic yes, I, I would say that um, if we, if we tease that one out in terms of, of the question you just asked me, um, what would somebody do um, what would it no, what is like? a personal no practicing? What? Yeah. What does it What does it look like for somebody who's not practicing white supremacy, right?
3: I apologize if I can. Can I hop in really quick? Because this is just a quick yes or no. My apologies, African uh, 1884. This is very uh, uncouth of me to disrupt your question. Do you think Do you think it would be constructive for non-white people to function logically? Do you think that would be constructive? Just yes or no. Yes. Okay. That's all I needed. Thank you. Could you continue with your response, please?
4: Yeah. Um, I think what white people would do when trying to disrupt white supremacy or if they are not practicing white, white supremacy, um, I think they would be um, asking themselves questions about where they choose to live in terms of housing um, that they would be attentive to um, whether or not there is housing discrimination happening around them. Um, I think um, that's one form. Um, I would want to say that I, I do believe the system is so large that unless you're living off the grid, I think it's hard not to be complicit in it. And I think just knowing that you're complicit in it is is problematic, but it it is at least at least you have to know um, you can't do anything if you don't know. Um, but once you know, then you can be paying attention to, you know, programs like this, where people are trying to raise consciousness around, um, where is the system currently functioning to disadvantage people of color and then be in support of people who are, um, naming that and, and, um, and, and do something to, to help be on the, the voting side and or the, you know, activist side to support people of color-led movements um, to, to make particular change. Um, let's see, what are some of the other um, institutions you're talking about? I mean, I think I, the things I said earlier about education, I think that would be part of it, um, standing up to, to make uh, changes in the way um, education policy is happening. Um, and um, and even if it's not on the large systems point, if if somebody's reach isn't that big, the, people can at least start at their local sites um, in trying to encourage um, the even even encouraging the conversation around. Let's look at how these things are happening here on our campus or these things are happening here in our communities um, when there is a a choice to be made among a community um, for what's going to be present within the community is the not in my backyard um, sort of approach going to um, be followed or is someone going to show up to the town hall meeting and say, no, I, I, this is important and this should be in my backyard because, you know, this is a part of our society and we need to, you know, um, care for all. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically when it comes to, um, you know, different service, services and things like that where people are always trying to get away from folk. Um, and those are just a few pieces. Um, I think the, the work that... Wait a
3: minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, this this uh, is not an interruption I'm interjecting because I think, uh, I think you might be practicing racism and white supremacy now, I think. Uh, and I, I suspect you could be consciously practicing white supremacy. I want to make sure before uh, I continue... Am I understanding the question was, what does a white person do in all areas of people activity? Uh, what does a white person do that is not practicing racism white supremacy? Was that the question? Yes, yeah. okay, sir. Okay. Now, you said at the beginning of the program that you are not able to accurately judge when a white person is. Practicing racism, white supremacy—you can't always tell. Is that—is that accurate?
4: I said I believe that I answered your question. That I didn't know if they were being honest or lying about okay. it. I, I think that's okay. what you had asked me so, before.
3: Okay. So it would be accurate to say that you said you stated earlier this broadcast you're not able to tell when a white person is being deceptive. Correct?
4: Yeah, I did say that. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. So for me. Racism, white supremacy, the primary tactic is deception. For me, logically, you can't really tell when a white person is practicing racism or not. True?
4: I'm not sure I'm following you on that.
3: Let me, let me, just, let me give it to you again, because you said you can't accurately tell when a white person is being deceptive. I'm saying the primary weapon of white people who practice racism, white supremacy, is deception. Now, if that's true, it would mean you can't really tell when a white person is practicing racism or not. Does that make sense?
4: It makes sense to me. Um, the, the, the way I answered it was about honesty, and when I hear you say deception, I'm still thinking about um, people's verbalizations. Are you meaning deception in a different way?
3: Let's hear your definition of deception. My definition of deception would just be someone not being accurate, not being honest. What's your definition of deception?
4: My I mean, I think it's closely related. That sounds right. That when somebody is but I would say when somebody is telling you something that is not being that is not Um, honest and true for for what that person believes. That, that to me, is being deceptive. Um,
3: Does that not
4: work for you?
3: I can go with that, too. But I would only assert that if that's true, then a racist could be practicing deception so that you don't really know that if what they're saying, even if it is appearance on face value to be against racism, you don't really know. If they are really against racism, that would okay, have to I, follow logic.
4: I think I understand what you're saying, and so let, let me say something else and see if this is, this follows. Okay, so for example, the, the the question that was asked of me is, what would it look like if somebody is, you know, um, uh, is, is acting? No, what
6: what
8: what, no, what what does a white person do? No, what, okay, what, do, they like? do? what right.
4: do? Okay, what do they do? Right. Okay, what do they do? So I'm naming some things that I think I would see a person who's not practicing white supremacy do, but I don't necessarily believe that that necessarily means that they never practice racism and white supremacy in their life ever. I'm saying those are some actions that, would, that I believe would not be in service of white supremacy. And that's really I all I can say about that. I, I, I mean, because I think I'm following your point that just because, let's just say somebody was doing all those things I had just named, does that mean that they never practice racism or white supremacy? I would not say that. Um, I would not say that that, that that completely um, makes somebody never practice racism or white supremacy. I don't, I don't know any of us that, and I'm saying us meaning, you, you know, people that I really, talk to regularly about this stuff. I don't know any of us who would claim that we never, um, I mean, I don't even know if we believe we most of the time don't somehow end up practicing um, racism or white supremacy in our lives or are complicit with the movements of the system that do just that. I think. Um, can,
3: I, can I hop in really quick? Because yeah. the reason I stopped all that was because in my view, this is again, did not think efficient. With your response, and I suspect that's why I stopped you, because I suspect you could be practicing racism, in my view, the most accurate response is, hey, I'm not even sure it would be possible for that to happen right now. Now, a white person could be doing this, that, and the other, could be writing these books, going to the White Privilege Conference, giving money to non-white people, and they could still be racist. Matter of fact, right now, most likely they are still racist. So I'm not really sure what that would look like. I'm not sure if it's possible. That be much more accurate than giving off a list of 20 things because, as we have already agreed, non-white people have a tough time understanding white means racist, white supremacist. Unfortunately, we have agreement on that. It would be much better to say that as opposed to rattle off 20 things and then a non-white person take that list of 20 things and say, okay, if a white person is doing these, well, then right on. And that should not be the approach at all. It should be white means racist. White could be doing whatever. The white person could be doing whatever in any area of people activity. White means racist, unfortunately. I think that would be much more accurate, much more accurate, much more efficient.
4: I see your point.
3: Go ahead, sir. Yeah.
8: Um, Maybe I uh, could, uh, um, like, uh, we understand, uh, I don't know if the guest understands the same thing, that racism and white supremacy dominates almost all the non white areas of productivity and also sex is included. So in the area of sex, what can she say in regard to racism and white supremacy? Could, can a white person that's having sexual intercourse with a non-white person be a racist white supremacy suspect?
4: I think that it certainly can, I, absolutely. I think that um, I think there are, are probably a lot of relationships where white supremacy is showing up in interracial relationships, sure.
8: So is it possible that someone could be engaging in sex with a non-white person but still be a racist white supremacist? Yes. Okay. Thank you very much.
4: You're welcome.
3: My apologies for interrupting you, um, African uh, 1884. My apologies. I did feel that was important. My apologies if it uh, disrupted uh, your ability to get information from the guest. My apologies. Sir.
8: <laughs> no problem. Thank you, sir.
3: Um, I wanted to check, we should be at the uh, two-hour point. I just wanted to check if, Justice, if you had any final questions uh, for our guests before uh, we get ready to wrap things up. Justice, did you have any final questions?
5: Nope.
3: Um, I uh, appreciated the dialogue. I, I I mean, you said all white people are racist, white supremacists. You are a white person. You are a racist, white supremacist, according to the definition that we gave, correct?
4: According to the definition you gave, yes.
3: Okay. Okay. Uh, and I believe you have either consciously or unconsciously practiced racism on the program with some of the responses that you gave, um, the response to justice um, about things she could do, um, and the gentleman's response, because I, I think just the logic would have to follow that you can't, really, you can't really tell if it's a white person if what they're doing is in opposition to racism or in support of racism, because white people have a lot of disputes about how to practice racism. Um, but, yeah, I feel like your response was not not truthful that. I feel like you could have been consciously or un- unconsciously practicing racism. Um, I guess to wrap up um, the conference, um, I'm not, I wouldn't give out an endorsement for non-white people to attend. But if you're in the area and, you know, you want to go and study racism, white supremacy, and go with suspicion, even of uh, Dr. Shelley Tolchuk. Could you tell us a little bit about the conference, when it's going to be happening again, just that info so people can check that out?
4: I believe next year's conference is going to be in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, and I'm not sure of the dates offhand, but it usually happens in April every year.
3: Uh, I meant the AWARE conference, not the White Privilege Conference.
4: Oh, I'm sorry. Um, What conference? uh, You're talking about the Institute? I'm sorry, AWARE doesn't um, host conferences.
3: Did you all have a workshop this past July? I, looked, I, looked, I feel like I saw the flyers for it. I thought today did WARE have a workshop in July.
4: Right. Yeah, we have um, we have a we do have a workshop. Um, we do not know when when it would happen again. It was just a all volunteer um, second time trying to 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 work on a, a series of workshops um, designed to to help um, people who are interested in exploring um, their relationship to race and racism, white privilege, um, and, uh, and trying to combat um, some of that. And, and I don't know when the next one would be, so I'm sorry I can't give you that information.
3: Oh, okay, no problem. But yeah, AWARE uh, is an
4: all-volunteer, you know, not organization. It's just a bunch of people who get together and, and try to do this work. So um, capacity okay. is always an issue, and we're, we're just not there yet, just finished up.
3: <laughs> uh, statistically insignificant, sounds like to me. Um, if uh, I guess people, if they just check your website, witnessingwhiteness.com, uh, it should be updated there. I would hope, correct?
4: There is um, still the flyer from the last time, um, but we right. don't. Ha- but in the future, it would be. Yes, in the future, that would be where somebody could look to find out um, when decisions are made of, of when it would happen again. Yes.
3: Outstanding. Witnessingwhiteness.com. Again, it'll be linked in the description, so you can just click her name and it'll take you right to the website. Uh, the book, which I do not recommend for non-white people, but the book, Witnessing Whiteness, First Steps Toward an Anti-Racist Practical, excuse me, Practice, Practice and Culture. First Steps Toward an Anti-Racist Practice and Culture, uh, our guest for today's program, Shelley, Dr. Shelly Kulcha. Thank you for uh, sharing some of your Monday afternoon with us.
4: Well, thank you very much for having me.
3: For sure. Um Context of white supremacy, we're going to take a quick commercial break and uh, we'll be right back. I have a quick message and uh, then I will get the phone lines open for folks to call in. Context of white supremacy, I'm opening the phone lines up, so please, please uh, be quiet. No background noise, opening the phone lines. If you called in, your line is open, um, you know, just please, the background noise. Uh, I was going to play the commercial for System Net but they crashed my switchboard. Um <laughs> Please go to her website. Her website is ourcause.com, O U R K O S.com. Uh, Sister Nefertari, they're doing the uh, second annual Matt Turner Day Weekend celebration, uh, August 20th through the 22nd. Um, Irritated Genie is going to be there. Uma Abdullah Johnson, Professor Griff, uh, Gwen Ragsdale um, should be uh, fantastic support. Check her out, all that good stuff. Okay. Uh, before I get to the phone lines, uh, the announcement. I wanted to make, uh, I had no intention of doing the program past uh, August 5th, because I didn't have a uh, my MacBook Pro with a carrying case, uh, because it, it really is a strain. This is broadcast number 195. Um, it really is a strain to do the to broadcast without having a phone or a computer. It is a real challenge. And uh, I just... I really am, am not interested in having to continue to, to struggle to do the broadcast without a computer. I did get the, the amount I originally requested, I did get before the original deadline for when I wanted to end the program, but I still don't have my computer. And I did make a change with regards to the computer that I want. Uh, I feel I make an effort to do quality programming. There's a little background noise. Uh, everybody, If you're on my Skype line, if you could mute really quick, that would be helpful. I would appreciate it if you're on my Skype line. Thank you. Um, but yeah, uh, I make an effort to run a quality broadcast. Um, it might not be constructive if, uh, if it's not. You know, No worries. You shouldn't even be listening to this. Um, but I do make an effort to do quality programming, and I hope it is helpful for folks. I need to get my MacBook Pro. Um, I have to put this deadline in just because I'm. Uh, I really was bothered all day about uh, the computer and, and just issues about having computer, not having a computer, um, the programs that are coming at the end of the month irritated Genie, Umar Abdullah Johnson, uh, Dr. Francis crest Welsing, Krish uh, the Black Unifier, all that's coming at the end at the end of the month, uh, and I really. Would prefer to have a computer by that time. Again, if you're on my Skype line, if you could mute, that would be helpful because uh, I am picking up background noise. Um, thank you, guys. Um, but yeah, uh, I was talking about the uh, the end of the month programs, and I really would prefer to have my uh, computer do those broadcasts. And uh, basically. I need my MacBook Pro by August twenty I, I need my MacBook Pro by August 25th. Um, I feel like I would not, my motivation for doing the broadcast past August 25th, knowing that there are a lot of big shows coming, and I would have some, uh, some anxiety about internet availability. Uh, I think I could probably work it out, but I might end up being on a laptop that might not have the best uh, service, and I don't like I don't like doing programs where my audio is not good or where I just have concerns if I'm going to have issues with being connected or disconnected during the broadcast. That really really grates on my nerves. Um, I need like 600 exactly, $662 to purchase my MacBook Pro. I was going to make the programs at the end. I was going to make that like a fundraiser to generate the profits, but, I mean, I just felt – that just feels extraordinarily niggerish to have to do a fundraiser for $600. I mean, that's, uh, I don't have anything, but I mean, that's just embarrassing. I've never seen a fundraiser for $650. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. I, I would be embarrassed to tell somebody we're doing a fundraiser for $650. Like, so I'm not making it a fundraiser. I need $650 by August 25th. Or I will have no problem shutting the broadcast down and – Just because I am a broke black male who is extremely poorly adjusted, I would be willing to give everybody their dough back who invested uh, from June 16th forward. Uh, If I don't have my 650 by August 25th, I'm ending the program and refunding all of the investments. So I would be willing to walk away uh, with none of the money I collected, no problem, but I need my computer. This is just really Really, really niggerish, um, and uh, I'm just unwilling. Cause that's why I said August 5th because I just I didn't want to do it past August 5th without a computer, and it's really grating on my nerves. So uh, August 25th, MacBook Pro. Well, I'm discontinuing the um, broadcast. 650. If I can't generate 650 in that's more than two weeks, then you know, really. Um, so okay, that's uh, the announcement. And if you don't think the program's constructive, if you don't think I need a MacBook Pro. Uh, the specific brand that I want, if you think I should be able to operate with a cheaper model, then, you know, don't worry about it. I'm not interested in hearing all that. And I don't want any dialogue about this. If you don't think that's cool, no problem. If you invested, you'll have your dough back and life will move on. Um, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, Douglas Blackman, author of Slavery by Another Name. Uh, he will be here tomorrow. Uh, and he'll be early. Uh, it'll be tomorrow um, 10:30 a.m. like real early. 10:30 a.m. Uh, 10:30 a.m. Eastern, 9:30 a.m. Central, and 7:30 a.m. Pacific. So we'll be back like uh, like 12 hours, basically. Be back on the air. Um, and Douglas blackman's book. I don't know if people are familiar, but slavery by another name is a fantastic book. Dr. Welding recommended it. Um, yeah, should be should be solid tomorrow. Here's a, I'm getting a lot of background noise. Please use your mute button. I'm getting a lot of background noise. If you called in on the phone, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, oh, I'm still getting the background noise. Please use your mute button. This is another thing that gets on my nerves. I feel like we go through this every program having to say over and over again, use your mute button. Uh, your line is on. I think I announced. Gus, can you case. hear me? I am hearing background distortion.
6: Can you hear me, Gus?
3: Yes. Yeah, can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I'm getting a lot of background distortion. That really gets on my nerves, too. Not having my own computer to do the programs gets on my nerves, and when people consistently call in and they have a lot of background noise going on and they're washing dishes and all that, that really plucks my nerves. So those two things would make Gus a much happier uh, victim of white supremacy during this broadcast and it would be reflected uh, in the broadcast, I think. At any rate, uh, but Douglas Blackman, he'll be here tomorrow. Again, it's tomorrow, uh, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Central, and 7.30 a.m. Pacific, Douglas Blackman, Slavery by another name. Um, I think those are the announcements I needed. Justice, did you have any comments about the broadcast before I get to everybody else? Justice, did you have any comments?
5: Um, no.
3: Okay. Um, <laughs> did you want to give uh, your email address?
5: Sure. Um, justice.asap at yahoo.com. Again, justice.asap at yahoo.com.
3: Great. Thank you very much. Um, everybody that called in, your line is open. If, uh, if you would like to uh, share any thoughts on uh, today's broadcast or anything racism related, you should uh, should be able to do so. Uh, everybody that called in, uh, your lines should be open if you called in, if you have comments or uh, feedback you want to share, uh, or questions, I guess. Uh, everybody that called in.
8: Uh, could I say something? Yes, please. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I said a question. I mean, uh, uh, did she clarify uh, her definition of racism or what she understands about what racism is?
3: She agreed with the definition that I, I give every program. She agreed with that definition.
8: Okay, but she had her own.
3: Uh, if she did, she did not share it. We, uh, she said operating with the definition that I used at the beginning of the program.
8: Okay. And do you have any background information on the uh, organization or what they do exactly and how they, uh, how they uh, discuss racism? Do they discuss it as racing white supremacy, or do they look at it as two different things?
3: um she uses the term white supremacy um i just want to check uh anybody that called in on the phone line um are you are you all there i don't i don't know uh i I think i did open the phone line up anybody that called on the phone line are you all there
7: i'm 818 i'm
3: here oh okay mr Mr. nero i'm here but i have my phone muted thank you i appreciate it just making sure i didn't lose y'all um her organization uh She's at St. Mary's College. Uh, it's in California. She's the chair of the Department of Education, and she does, I guess, workshops in that area on racism. She's written a book. She has a blog. I'll, I'll have uh, this stuff linked in the description to the program um, once we wrap up, but uh, where well, you can check out like some of the material that she's written. Um, she blogged about the blackmail who the uh, enforcement officials executed. Uh, Oscar Grant she blogged about that she blogged about being at the white privilege conference um, so you'll be able to get a feel for I guess what, okay. what they do and you know the way she uses terms okay
8: Okay. appreciate thank you mm-hmm.
7: I did want to ask you a question you said you would not recommend uh, her book for non-white people why is that
3: um, it's just a lot of foolishness like I, I feel like uh, and it's very inefficient the way the way that she conducted herself on the program uh, is similar to the way the book is written. It's just it's not. It's, and it, her intended audience is white people. Let's start with that. Her intended audience is white people, racist white supremacists. So that would be one. Um, two. Um, you get the impression as though white people can be redeemed. Like you get the impression that white people want to want to stop practice racism. Um, and that, you know, you, there are things that white people can do to not do this and be friendly with non-white people. And it doesn't, if, a, if you're a non-white person reading this, I don't get the impression, wait a minute, every white person is racist. And I should have that in mind anytime I'm in contact with a white person that this person is racist and has been programmed to mistreat me. Uh, let me make sure I don't lose sight of that. I don't think you would walk away from this book with that impression. Um, like this. On page 216 that I read, uh, she's talking about a non-white person. um, And it says uh, Jennifer, the non-white person's name is Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer also said that moving through this experience with Karen helped diminish the fears she recognizes she once had when interacting with whites. Like, I think that's horrible. Um, She goes on to say, in fact, when asked about her openness to having me, a white woman, come into her home for these interviews she credited her relationship with Karen, who's a white person. That's one, one of the things I can see came out of our friendship. I'm not afraid of white people. Not that I ever consciously was, but I feel less threatened, like I've got to protect myself around them. And that's all to her credit to this relationship with a white person. There's this silliness like that in here that is very dangerous for non-white people where you'll end up with uh, you know, non-white people thinking, hey, Dr. Tuckluck is, is cool, Timmy is cool, uh, Dr. McIntosh. there are a lot of white people that are not racist, and that's just not true at all.
8: You know, I had a question, though. Yes, sir. Yeah, and... Um... You know, I think I, I mean I should be asking her these questions, but uh, since she's not online anymore, I mean, she's not on on uh, uh, your station right now. I think I, 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 is it okay if I ask you some of these questions? Sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's in regard to colorblind or color blindness. Does she support that understanding, or was she against it? I I, didn't, I was not clear about that.
3: Um, from what I understood in the book, and well, I pitch because I read the book, so I. I I have other information. From the people that are on the line, Did what was your opinion uh, about her views on colorblindness, so-called colorblindness? Uh, what did you all think she felt about so-called colorblindness?
7: It seemed that she thought it was something that white people used, if, if I was understanding correctly, to uh, kind of deceive themselves or, or or trick themselves or fantasize that they – do not use people's color or race and factors of how they treat them?
2: I think I um, listened to her. She used the term incorrectly to my yes. definition of binding. She used it incorrectly. But I think yeah, she basically is used for white people to say I don't see it. It doesn't matter, and and when in fact the definition says it's the inability to see color, which is not possible if you can see.
8: You said she
3: used the definition incorrectly. Can you? I kind think. Of elaborate? Well, she
2: went to. She was in her her definition, what the previous person just said. I believe how she used the term, she's saying white people like to say I'm colorblind, to say um, I don't see color, I don't use it in judging them or how I treat them, whichever. But in that whole part of the discussion, I decided to look it up. And what I found was that um, she had a misunderstanding of what it means. And one of the key factors was it's the inability to see color versus um, the fact that people are just opting not to.
3: I might be in code. It, do- it does, it uh-huh. does, it does. I understood that. It might be interesting. Um, I don't know if people would have the interest, but I believe when that term first came up, when she was explaining it, I believe she even stated explicitly that she didn't mean the inability to see color. I think she said that. I, I could be, I might not be uh, remembering accurately, but I think she did say that, and then she went on to explain, you know, how she was using it.
7: Did she bring up the illustration of the ostrich with its head in the sand, or someone else brought that up? She brought that up
2: when I asked her about her methods for, um, not her methods, in her presentation she has a list of things that white people do to non-white people that show that they practice racism, not like KKK racism, but that whole unconscious kind of um, or subconscious racism.
7: Or the more refined
2: methods. Exactly. That's when she brought up the ostrich with the head in the sand.
7: Yeah, I feel like that's a a, a kind of. Uh... Like I just think of a cartoon with some white people putting some gas out that makes all the non-white people go to sleep. (laughs) That's why I see the whole I'm colorblind term as something that is used to put you to sleep, get you to stop suspecting the possibility of someone practicing racism, white supremacy, and get you to avoid the obvious. You know someone knows what so-called color you are. I mean we live in a world where almost everything in it is defined by that, how you're treated, what resources you have, where you live, what you have access to, your level of education.
6: No, so if married.
7: I hear a white person say, I'm colorblind, to me that's like saying I'm not a racist but and then expecting some racism to come after it.
8: I mean that's quite that's quite interesting because uh just imagine it that uh, today, white folks stop referring to themselves as being white. Would does that mean that the system of racing white supremacy, would stop existing?
6: If they
7: stop defining I mean, them themselves know. as white.
8: Yes, if they stop referring to themselves as white people.
7: Well, no, that'll just be refinement From... because they'll just be refining the label that they attach to themselves. That won't change their mentality, their outlook. Uh, the the language, what's in the educational system, any of those things. Yeah, I, I can I can do a, a France Cabreau and stop calling myself black and stop referring to myself black. I can call myself a coblin Asian. I can call myself a woman of color. I can call myself a brown beauty. I will still be victimized by the system because changing labels does not um, eradicate the system or make it go away or make those who practice white supremacy stop. It just gives you another more confusing uh, label to help mask who's doing the abusing and, and, and what my role is in that system. That would just be another okay. method of refinement.
8: Okay. So is that agenda really strong out there in the States, uh, the color blindness thing?
7: I'm hearing it more now with all of this, uh, you know, politically correct, so-called politically correct rhetoric that, uh, you know, you you hear the so-called liberal people putting out there. Um, You know, and as well, I mean, we have a a mulatto president who won't address the issue of race almost ever, unless he is talking to black people, telling them basically, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, uh, be responsible, be a father, do this, do that. But I've never heard him address the uh, racism the white supremacy that's being directed at him, his wife, or, you know, the people in the Senate and in the Congress. Okay.
3: Suspected, uh, I just wanted to toss in, suspected white supremacist Peggy McIntosh, Dr. Peggy McIntosh, when she was on this program, she said President Obama had better not talk about racism, white supremacy, unless he wants to get in trouble with white people and she explained the why, but uh, she was very clear about that. And the one time that he did make an effort to talk about racism, he got in trouble with white people, the incident with uh, so-called Dr. Gates and, and all that stuff at Harvard. But that's the one time I can think of where he did try to talk about racism, and uh, white people were furious.
7: Yeah, and you know what? I was, it was a radio interview out here on the uh, local station, and that's the one time I was driving and actually heard Tim Wise on that station. And he was talking about how even having a black president, that he still has to kowtow to white people and have a beer summit to make up for claiming that the uh, the, the suspected racist police officer acted stupidly. So to please the white people, even though he's president, you know, supposedly, as they say, the most powerful position in the world, uh, you know, I don't agree with that, but that he still had to have a beer summit and kowtow to white people. To it, an officer of the police department in Massachusetts at that, even though he's the president.
3: The hmm. racist joke. The racist joke. What does uh, what does Obama's change mean? Come help a nigger get elected. I'd heard that one before.
8: You had that one before also too. All the way out here, I've had that. <laughs> What, can, you,
3: can you remind them where you're calling from, sir?
8: I'm calling from Austria. Thank you. Thank
3: you. Oh, <laughs> President Obama is a nigger in Austria, too,
8: apparently. No, I've had that joke before, you know, so I was surprised that your guest has never had it, you know. Wow. That was the first, too. I,
3: that, I, want, I want that to stick as well. That's the first time that I've ever told any racist joke to a white person, and they said they hadn't heard it. That's the first time that's ever happened. And she said she hadn't heard any of those jokes.
7: You know what? I I don't think I'd heard most of them, except maybe the warden one. I might have heard you say that before. But there are several websites out there that you can find where white people will talk freely with these jokes. And it, it just gets really vulgar and disgusting, but um, one of them I, I heard a lot of crap on was a website called Chimp Out. I think I have it linked in my blog under sites that white supremacists like. But, yeah, there's a lot of garbage out there, including there's a cartoon with a pregnant black female at the door of an abortion clinic. And uh, I think the caption is crime fighter. She's fighting crime because she's about to have her unborn child aborted. You know, translation, black children will grow up to be criminals. Oh, have you all heard about the uh, white male that they – uh, suspect being a serial killer who was targeting black males.
8: Yeah, I know that too, yeah. yeah. I know about that.
3: Saw it on uh, several times on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I
7: also wanted to say I think it was it might have might have been on this show, uh where someone was speaking about uh segregated proms and how the white children in high school, could come to the black children's proms, but the black students couldn't go to the white prom. And I was having a conversation with uh, some non-white people yesterday, and there was a black female who was from Louisiana. Now, she graduated high school in the '90s. She was telling me that um, her prom was segregated, and I think just around the time that she, or, or just around the time she was having them, they had started to desegregate the prom. She affirmed that the white students could come to their prom, but they couldn't go to the white student's prom, and that at one point, I don't remember if it was uh, financial reasons or educational disparities, but she talked about them not in in this day and age, in the 90s, um, not having access to new books, supplies, um, proper educational facilities, and she said that they were talking about merging one of the black schools, one of the all-black schools with one of the all-white schools. She said the white people in town got so upset about it and made such an uproar that they burnt part of the black school down, and they declared it arson, but no investigation, no effort to really investigate who did it was ever made because they knew the white people did it. And I was thinking, so wouldn't that just make it to where the black students would really need to go be bused out to the white school, Um, you know, since their facilities were, were compromised? And she said, no, what they did, they just brought in trailers like those bungalows. And then the the home ec teacher, they used part of the the kitchen in the classroom for uh, somebody else's class, and she took the other part of the room for hers. So even in that, I mean, this is in the last, you know, 10 years or so, uh, I'm sorry, 10 or 20 years. But, um, you know, in the time that I would have been in high school, where white people are still using violence against black people because they don't want them around or don't want to share facilities with them. And it was just amazing to hear somebody in my in my own age group, you know, speak like that because I haven't seen that type of uh, blatant racism in the part of the United States where I am. Oh, and as well, I've posted the PDF on my uh, blog, the one about the elimination of the Negro through black female white male relationships or sexual arrangements. So that is now posted oh. for anybody that
8: was looking for it. Uh, what's the name of your blog again?
7: ebonynewschannel.blogspot.com. Uh, thank you. You're welcome.
3: I did want to uh, make sure I read that part again because I, I did, even though I would not recommend this book. I know non-white people at first were buying some of the books of these white people on the show. Not only should you not buy this book or any other book that a white person wrote, you should not read this one. I would not recommend this book at all for non-white people. And it's not intended for non-white people. She said that on the program. Um, But I did, this chunk was important. Her talking about uh, what I suspect was a sexual relationship with a black male. Uh, She said that uh, this black man knew many women who readily dialogued among themselves about how this history lived on, and he refused to add to their hurt the history of black men being persecuted for reckless eyeballing and doing anything with regards to a white woman. This black male recognized that the effects of that history are not over, and he was careful to recognize how his behavior in the world would impact others. From what was reported, this same consideration is what prompted Denzel Washington to refuse to kiss Julia Roberts in the film Pelican Brief, if I recall the magazine story accurately. At that time, I could not see why the injury to black women was
0: important
3: or, more correctly, I did not want to care about what this man saw and what black women would feel. I'm going to just make sure I read that again so you don't miss that. I could not see why the injury to black women was important, or more correctly, I did not want to care about what this man saw and what black women would feel. I could not grasp why what someone else thought about our potential relationship made a difference. It sounds like she's specifically referencing black people, but, you know. I recall saying things like, we can't be responsible for their feelings. Why should we be punished for something we were not part of? Why can't we just be beyond race? Even though I thought I transcended race and was ready to be in a relationship with anyone, That very belief caused me to become insensitive to the effects my actions would have on others. I was only concerned about myself. Uh, Bay Area caller, because you were you requested uh, Dr. Uh, Tolchuk, and you've heard her in person how did How did her conduct on the program today compare with what you saw in person?
2: Um, I would have to say watching her watching her in person and um, hearing her today two totally different people. I mean, uh, how so? When I watched her presentation, it was um, you kind of. I mean, you got the honesty in it, but it didn't. It didn't have that resounding um, undertow of racism. Like you wouldn't leave the room suspecting that she was a racist. You would think she really was trying to commit to um, getting rid of it, while at the same time, you know, she's practicing the behavior herself um, and causing more confusion. So it's, hearing her today, it it helped me understand a lot more about what she writes and um, her presentation. I did find it very interesting that she couldn't recall her list that she has in her slideshow, or she chose not to recall it.
3: <laughs> you said, uh, I guess a, a fellow victim of white supremacy said, uh, I guess they have some Admiration uh, for Dr. Uh, Tuckluck and her work, uh, and she said that she didn't want to hear this program because she didn't want to hear me trash uh, good Dr. Shelley Tuckluck. Um, how do you think she would respond to to hearing this? She
2: um, she wouldn't have liked what she heard. I know a lot of I mean my where I work every there's a book like a. I cannot get my words right. Um, there's, like, a study group going on this year because essentially we brought her in for the white people on campus. And so, um, so you know, at that point I didn't feel like, you know, her work was ever targeted for me to read, even though on her website it says that we can read it. Um, her work is specifically targeted for white people, so that's why we brought them in. But no one, I don't think anyone... On my campus, would listen to your show, and they would feel like you were you were countering the system. Uh, they would have they would have felt like you were abusing her in some way, which you know adds to the confusion. You would have got that whole leave the poor little white girl alone.
8: Uh, I just had a comment in regard to the word privilege because uh, I think it's a word that's uh, it's used a lot by many racist, white supremacist suspects when they speak about racism and, and uh, the system of white supremacy. And uh, uh, I tend not to use the word. I don't know what uh, what your take is. You know anyone that's online? What their take is in regard to the word privilege, because like I asked the the guest uh, the question, what does a white person do that's not practicing racism, white supremacy? And uh, the host uh, like kind of like intervened and said it's very hard to know how if a white person is practicing racism, white supremacy or not because they're very deceitful. So when someone refers to the word privilege, to me it seems like white folks can easily decide today and say, okay, well I'm not going to enjoy the privileges of the system of racing white supremacy. And, in my understanding, how do they do that? Does that mean they stop existing, or do they just? I don't know. How do they do that? You know, in regard to the word privilege, you know, I'm not really. I don't know how you all think about the word privilege. Did you understand me? Did anyone understand what I was going to say
3: I, I did i was just I was gonna see if other people wanted to comment but uh I don't
8: know no no because because uh it's just uh like in regard to what you say too like it's hard to try to find out if a white person is practicing racism white supremacy or not you know because they're very deceitful, and when someone uses the word privilege in my understanding it means that white folks can uh like disregard the privileges that they get within the a civil race in white supremacy. Now how do they do that? How do you measure that as a non-white person? Do they stop existing? Do they stop uh, getting benefits from the government that non-white people don't get? I mean, how, how do you measure that out?
3: I myself, like I, I have specific things that I measure and I've said all along, improvement in quality of life. Like, I measure progress against racism, white supremacy, white people doing the correct thing, or non-white people doing the correct thing to solve this problem. Things should be getting better for me and non-white people on the whole. Like, uh, I got my MacBook Pro. Yay. <laughs> um, I got, you know, my problems are getting solved. I look around and I see other people's problems getting solved. My uh, my pal, Christie, grad school is taken care of. I'm, I've got money. I don't have a dire situation on my hands. Um, people's fan. Families are doing better. We're not having to have all these crazy conversations about why black males and black females have so much conflict because those relationships are much more helpful. Uh, Tim Wise would be out of business. I wouldn't have non-white people running around. Lord Jesus, Tim Wise is just the best in the world. We wouldn't have that. Um, those are some of the barometers I have set for myself, and I, I think it would be constructive for non-white people to come up with their own barometers of what you know, they would gauge to be constructive uh, progress, so-called progress, uh, against racism and white supremacy. But like privilege, um, I don't use the term. I think, uh, I think it's a slick way that white people evade talking about things that they do to practice racism, to just focus on things that they get from the system of white supremacy. And I think uh, it's a really slick way of distancing from white privilege is directly connected to victimization of non-white people, and that tends to get left aside. I think it makes sounds. It makes it's very euphemistic. It makes things sound a lot nicer and and more cuddly uh, and less ugly and terroristic, which is what this is: terrorism against non-white people. So I don't use the term. I I don't like it when white people. She uses that term a lot in her book.
8: Um, yeah, I mean, she even used it while she was uh, while you were having an exchange with her. Right. Right. Yeah. Right.
3: I don't. I, I try to discourage non-white people from using it. I expect white people to use it, and I think uh, I think it's it's just another way of practicing racism, and white like supremacy. Not not speaking honestly about what's happening. It's much easier to talk about privilege as opposed to victimization of non-white people, terrorism against non-white people worldwide.
8: Okay.
3: Okay. I don't know if other people had thoughts around that term, privilege. And it sounds like but like white supremacy sounds icky. like ooh, <laughs> it's,
8: true. it's true that,
7: <laughs> yeah, I don't like it either. It's deceptive the privilege is something you earned, you know, and with white supremacy the the benefits that white people get from it is not something they earned. They're not in the position they're in because they toiled and worked. For hundreds of years and built this country and, you know, and just did it all on their own and and everything they have they made up and came up with and didn't steal from anyone else and the land they have here, you know, they got with, you know, justly, none of that's true. So I don't see where there's a privilege that comes in anywhere, a reward for something you earned. whether here or even in Europe because most European countries were built on the the benefits of uh, warfare against non-white people or their exploitation and enslavement and, and colonialization. Yeah,
8: that's true. Uh, I want to go back to the word uh, colorblindness. So the way people understand it there, because I want to get this correct, uh, do they mean to say that you sh- that that people should be living in a society where you don't notice any color whatsoever.
7: It's the pretense uh, I mean, of not noticing color. It's it's where it's you, where you you act as if you don't see it. You pretend that you know the person's color doesn't matter to you. And 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 I find it's a defense used especially when a white person does do something. Um, racist or white supremacist or where a black person is trying to make the case that you know, they're cool with white people, they, they won't judge them based on their color. I think it's a word used in a dance of pretenses.
8: So, um, has anyone ever raised the question, uh, what's the problem with seeing color?
7: I, I would say that.
8: I could look out and I could see that's a green tree. I could see Uh, Black people with different shades of skin color, but I think the most important thing is the intent. I mean, I don't know. I mean, has anyone raised that question and asked uh, what's the problem with skin
6: color?
7: Well, I, I have uh, said on, you know, other Internet forums before, I don't want somebody looking at me being colorblind. Why is there something wrong with my color that you need to be blind to it? Why does my heritage, my culture, who I am, what I am, why does that need to be erased in order for you to see me and be able, be able to deal with me, you know, and to be able to treat me right or like another human being? I don't look at anybody's dog and say, oh, I'm breed blind. You know, I don't. I don't look at at fruit, and so I'm I'm colorblind. I won't discriminate between the colors of the fruit. Like we don't do that. We don't do that about flowers. Like you said, the trees. We don't pretend that we're blind to the beauty of the tree. We we acknowledge what it is and that we love it. And I think that's part of the problem of this whole colorblind garbage. Is it's because the value of who we are as non-white people is not acknowledged and accepted uh, to be. You know, seen as something beautiful. Therefore, you have to be blind to it and pretend it doesn't exist because historically, that's what has identified you or made you easily identifiable as a victim of white supremacy and racism, and abuse and mistreatment and violence, directly or indirectly.
3: Dr. Uh, uh, Tuchel, excuse me, Dr. Tuckluck, she pointed out in the book that it's also significant that white people don't tend to become colorblind when they're referencing other white people. Uh, this concept only comes up when they're referencing non-white people, which is also very interesting. Um, you know, all this uh, I don't see color and that doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to come into play if it's another white person.
7: Mhm. Yeah, I've never heard them say that when they when they reference other white people. That's a good point.
8: In, in also, in, in regard to color blindness, um, there are a lot of uh, organizations also here that um, carry out conferences or discussions on that issue, and also um, on the issue of uh, racial equality. You know, which for me is not logical. So I don't know if you guys also go through that there, racial equality, or do you, do you hear these terms? Are they used also there, racial equality?
7: Yeah, they throw them around. To me, it doesn't mean anything. It's just another deceptive term because, <laughs> I mean, I'm living, I haven't seen the equality at all, especially while we have things like them trying to basically erase any of the uh, so-called Hispanic people uh, from from Arizona, from the curriculum in, in schools as far as uh, any type of, uh, I guess you call it ethnic uh, education, you know, or, or ethnic studies or anything like that. There's no equality that term is thrown okay. around, but it's not something I see put into practice. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot of buzzwords that I hear white people and non-white people want to be accepted by them um, use to paint a false picture that everything's okay, everything's improving. Because the fact that they keep saying things like race equality, that they keep using race, which is an invention of white supremacists, to define white people as the race and everybody else as other subgroups or categories, as long as they keep using that and seeing things in that way, I think there also will be no equality of people. Because the whole concept of dividing people into races is for the purpose of determining who will receive the benefits and who will be oppressed and subjugated? Who who will have okay. dominance in in all socio-material, you know, areas?
8: Okay. And um, did the guests say that uh, she she was white? Did she admit to being Did she admit to being white, or to being a member of a race?
3: She admitted to being racist. And she admitted to being white and racist white supremacist
8: okay and why do you think she didn't want to uh, like in regard to the uh, to having uh, sexual intercourse with a non-white person uh she was really much uh, against that offended when you asked that question
3: now my money was here you, you asked the question did you get a sense that she was offended about that question and if so why no i didn't uh if i can be heard i didn't uh um, i' didn't feel as if she uh, she seemed uh offended by that question okay I think she was hesitant or reluctant to be as honest as she could be about it, but
8: and I ask, why do you ask that question though?
3: Yes, sir. Did, did you ask me uh, why did I ask? Yeah, why, 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 oh, did, you
8: okay. why did you pick that question? Why do you pick that question?
3: I like to know in regards to uh, Well, I asked it for it was a few different reasons, but the a biggie is that I see white people who say they want to get rid of white supremacy and whatnot else and tend to um, have a sexual Interaction a sexual thing, if you will, with uh, non-white people, uh, and then some of the way she was uh, describing her situation at that time, or the questions she was ask, uh, answering at that time, made me made me think that uh, you know she could be uh, participating in, the, in, in that activity as well. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I wanted to know. Uh, it helps me get a better understanding of who uh, I'm talking to, and uh, as far as the white person goes.
8: Okay.
3: We've got like eight minutes left. I wanna make sure I don't get cut off and then you all can, you know, share. Uh we'll be back tomorrow, uh or I guess for uh African eighteen eighty four we'll be back later today. Uh for everybody else we'll be back uh tomorrow. Um tomorrow morning uh ten thirty AM Eastern, nine thirty A.M. Central and seven thirty AM Pacific. Uh, and I believe uh for African eighteen eighty four that would be uh p.m. today. 4.30 p.m. today, we'll be back. Um, Douglas A. Blackman, author of Slavery by Another Name. It's kind of early for me. If I wasn't hosting the show, I'd probably have to catch the archives. Understood. But, you know, if you're awake at that time, we'll be here.
7: The caller that's in uh, Austria. I'm sorry, I can't recall your username right now. Um, over there, are the white people more refined in their racism, or do you see them being blatant and you know open with it in all in all different areas? Whether it's you know things you see in the store, in the media, than you know in print, on television, and music, religion, whatever.
8: Okay. Um. Uh, let, let me let me first say one thing. Uh, I was going to take some time out to be uh, a guest on uh, the cows, and I was planning to do that uh, uh, next month in September because I'm going to have some time out. But to answer your question, well, they're pretty much forward here. They it's it's just up in your face. I mean, there are places you could go in 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 Austria where you'd like to go going to a restaurant as a non-white person, you order something to eat and they wouldn't want to serve you. They'll be like, no, we don't serve your kind here. And uh, you want to go to a club or a restaurant sometimes, they wouldn't let you enter and they'd give an excuse like it's, it's, it's how you dress or that they've never seen you around and every white person is just going in, you know. So it's like, it's more like in your face out here, you know, and it, it's really affected a lot of non-white people like extremely, you know that you have people just either uh, result into alcohol, just drugs, and you know a lot of beatings out on the streets. You have skinheads and Nazis, just some just 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 work out and go to the gym and just to beat up black folk or Asian people or Indians or Chinese, anyone that looks different and stuff. And yeah, it's it's pretty much in your face, you know.
7: So would you say that Europe please? is not – I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: No, no, please.
7: I was just going to ask, um, over over here I hear a lot of um, black women in particular paint Europe as a haven for black women where, where they'll be appreciated for their beauty, you know, by white men and there's less racism there and it's not like bigoted America. And, and I just, you know, I was wondering, is are, are you seeing something that's completely the opposite of that?
8: Oh, yeah we in mean, regard to the female: Yeah, I mean, what's interesting here is that uh, there are many females out here, non-white females. in the case for Austria, I mean, I'm not going to speak for the whole of Europe because I've never been to France or Germany. I mean, I've visited France and Germany, but I've never lived there. So uh, living in Austria for the last seven years, um, it's much easier for uh, non-white females from Africa to come here and get a job as a prostitute than to get a job as a teacher or social worker. You know, it's much easier. They're given walking uh, working permits as prostitutes, but you can't get a working permit to do like a, an average job. So, I mean, the, those, I mean, situations in regard to the non-white females and stuff. And yeah, I mean, mm. most white males are really much into dating non-white females out here. You know, but still, you have the non-white females in a very, very uh, bad uh, social positions, same as in non-white males and stuff, you know.
3: I've seen a video recently of non-white females, particularly black females in France, being uh, dragged, dragged in the street uh, by white enforcement officials. Um, in, in, in Austria, sir, do you, do you see uh, a lot of black people around in, uh, relative to the amount
8: of white people there, or not so many? No, no not so many. More white people and not so many black people. And the black people that I hear, many of them um, tend not to want to create communities that much because... It's like you have people who have been here for the last, say, three years. Some have been here for the last 15 years. So the ones who have been here longer tend to see the ones who are just coming in as spoiling the opportunity for them because you're going to have a large population of black people, and that means the immigration laws are going to change and things are going to get harder, and the more black people come in, the more they make it hard for them to get work. So many of them result into selling drugs or become prostitutes. That's in regard to the females. So the ones that have been here longer for like 15 years tend to see the ones that are just coming in as, you know, like, okay, you guys are coming into our space. Now we're all going to look bad and stuff. So there's not much of a community based kind of relationship, quote unquote, within the, within the, uh, black relationships and stuff here. But, but all in all, there are more white people than black people. It's, I mean, the black, uh, like a, Minority, if you would like to use that term.
3: 60 seconds left. We'll be back tomorrow. Context of white supremacy. Oh, justice. Email justice.asap at Com. Yes, sir. It's the same scenario with uh, black people here in this end of the world as far as not being unity and teaming up in, you know, uh, ineffective numbers. So it's same thing here.
8: Yeah. I mean, I'll be able to get into this when I get a chance to be guested uh, on, on the calls. You know, if I get a chance to do that, if I'm allowed to do that,
0: yeah.